0: Welcome to Air It Out, a spiritual bootcamp podcast. I'm your host, Emery Oliver. Today, we've got a mystic chat with Mercy Tarot, my beautiful soul sister, whose birthday is tomorrow. So we're going to call this her birthday extravaganza. <laughs> How are you doing today, Mercy?
1: I'm doing well. I was like, cue the confetti.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: I've never... I am. I'm doing very well on the eve of my birthday. I've never been one to be like, look at me. It's my birthday or my birthday week. But um, it does feel cathartic this year. And it feels like a year of being very authentic and aligned. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking
0: forward to it. Beautiful. Well, I know, personally speaking, this year brought you into my life. So I'm quite happy about that. And so I appreciate you being on this planet and I'm <laughs> going to celebrate it. Tomorrow I'll <laughs> bake some cake and I'll just eat it. We can eat it at the same time in different time zones. Perfect,
1: it's perfect as long as we line up in the time zones, it's okay, we can both enjoy the cake together. Exactly,
0: I'll a lot crystals, of candle right? for Edible you.
1: Yeah, there you exactly. go.
0: Oh my gosh! So, um, in light of some weird energetic stuff that's going on, because we're recording this on the 19th of February, um, Mercy and I wanted to talk a little bit about spiritual awakenings that happen after your spiritual awakening and kind of the wall that you hit energetically and just some of the dark nights of the soul that will take you by surprise and how those kind of internal cataclysmic events feel as you progress through your journey um because as as i've said on this podcast multiple times this is not this is a long long journey this is not like a, you start working on yourself and you heal yourself in a month and you're all better and life's puppies and kittens and sunshine there is always something deeper to go into and you will be surprised sometimes when it comes up that it's not from this lifetime so with that being said um and mercy knows this because mercy i went to mercy for some guidance on this i just for some background on this uh last week i hit a wall an energetic wall which is why uh we haven't posted in a couple of weeks I was going through an energetic upgrade, which I knew, and it actually started happening before we recorded Camille's episode. So that's why I seem a little off in that podcast. But um, as this energetic upgrade hit, I got a new guide co- that came in, and this new guide that came in is super powerful, and it's almost like being on psychedelics working with him because I just get this like immediate response to any question that I ask, and it comes through in the honestly the craziest ways, but. I thought everything was kind of hunky dory. And then it was so strange. It was like a switch flipped. And I went through another spiritual awakening that was so much more intense than any of the ones I had gone through, with the exception of the one in 2020. And I've gone through several upgrades, and, and they've been a little uncomfortable. But, you know, like I have a day of like, ooh, my energy feels weird. And then the next day I wake up and I feel great. This was not that. And this was not that to the point of where I went to Mercy and got a reading and she flipped the card over and was like, whoa, this energy is insane. So if you're feeling crazy right now, like it is not you. And I was like, oh, thank God, you know, so <laughs> I'm on the other side of it now. I'm still kind of drained from it, but they're brutal, you know, like it really, it the best thing I can tell you is I felt like I was being emotionally waterboarded for like a week. <laughs> it's just non-stop. And as soon as I thought like, okay, I can catch my breath, they'd be like, nope, going right back in again. What I found out this week is that I had some stuff from past lives that I had already seen and I had already addressed and accepted and whatever, but there was more in those lifetimes um, leading up to some of the things I had seen and also attached to some of the things that I had seen that I needed to go in. And actually take action on as my current self now during an astral travel meditation. So it wasn't until I got to that point that I fully started kind of working through this. And I still have two more to go, according to my guide. So everybody pray for me. (laughs) But um, I wanted to talk about this because when you're on a healing path, a lot of times you'll get to a point where you make a big breakthrough. You've healed something huge. You've let go of something huge. And then you get hit by the upgrade wall is kind of what I've been calling it, right? Which is they're like, okay, cool. You clean that out. Well, now we got to fill it up with with the good stuff. But the thing is, is if you still have some more to clean out before that good stuff comes in, it's going to feel like you're dying because you are essentially going through an ego death. Yeah. And Mercy and I kind of talked about this before I hit record, but she's had this happen too on a much more minor level because of the way that her first awakening went. And I'll, I'll let her speak more to that. but. This is something that happens to everyone, every spiritual being that that goes on a healing journey, that goes on the spiritual path. Do not be alarmed if you hit a wall at some point and you start feeling like you're dying. It's totally normal. You're not backsliding. You're going through an upgrade, especially if you asked your guides to help you let go of something. That was what happened with me. I accidentally brought it on myself, (laughs) (laughs) not knowing what I was doing. But I think Mercy has a different experience
1: yeah no i was just gonna I was just gonna say what you said first was for me the key. It was I think a lot of times when we experience that, it's when we feel almost too comfortable on our journey or we feel in a place where we there's not much more for me to know. there's nothing left for me to know I'm at this point of completion or destination and and the purpose of this journey is yes, it's a trope, but it, it isn't a destination point. it's an ongoing right. continuous loop of expansion and continuity and the idea that often what we'll what we're getting hit with and you know not speaking directly to your experience ever, but in others will we'll get to the point where they say, Well, I don't need any more healing or I've I've addressed this or I've done this in therapy or I've done the inner child meditation and I don't, you know, I've <laughs> reparentified and they and they're like, I'm done. And that's when you get hit with that, you know, all of a sudden the upgrade, the upgrade wall, the the ton of bricks that you don't expect.
0: But it's because
1: that ego of assumed completion will never expect that you can be rocked again. Because from your perspective, the ego's
0: perspective, you're you're done. You're healed and completed and perfect. and You don't need to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. But are you healed? Yeah. So for me, it was kind of the opposite of that. So I felt stuck. And I literally on the last full moon asked, um, which, by the way, I think the last full moon was in Leo. And I have a Leo moon. Okay. so. I probably should have known that whatever I did on that moon was going to be amplified. So on the full moon, I went outside, I was standing on the deck and I was looking at the moon and I said, hey, guys, can you help me let go of anything that's blocking me? I'd like to let go of just anything and everything that's blocking me serving my purpose in the most efficient way possible. I should have known in that moment that that was going to be a hold on to your butt moment coming, but, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't at all. And I thought, okay, like I'll I'll go into some meditations. They'll address some things that I, I still need to clear out. And instead, what they did was literally like, I mean, I went through a spiritual purge unlike anything I've ever experienced. It was way worse than the spiritual awakening I went through in 2020, um, which almost killed me in all honesty. And so this one I thought, oh my God, like how am I gonna get out of this? If this lasts for months, I'm gonna go walk myself up. Like this is nuts because it it oscillated between me being super grateful for what I had and and my husband and the dogs and this beautiful home we live in and the life I have and then it would swing the opposite extreme which was like my book isn't getting published and what more do I have to fucking do to get what I need in this lifetime financially you know and financially we're fine guys like I'm just gonna be honest with you this is purely like this is purely driven from my need to like. Want to take some of the stress off my husband. That's really all that it is. There's no real reason for me to be pushing this the way that I was. It was just I felt stuck. And so my former coping mechanism was to bulldoze through anything that got in my way. Well, (laughs) when you're in a very gatekeepy kind of situation, like getting into a, a publishing situation, which I'll go off on a tirade on that later, but. It's very difficult to bulldoze through that. You can't. You you just can't. Okay. There's like no bulldozing through. I could self-publish, whatever. But my goal is really to get this in the hands of as many people as possible because I have a lot of healing nuggets written in dark fantasy form. And so I wanted to get a traditional offer. And so I got through the first, I'm going to call it wave one of the, the ton of bricks. And I went to Mercy and I was like, oh man, I feel better. I'm on the other side of it. And she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, oh shit, what does that mean? And I was like, but I feel fine today. Like, what is she talking about? And then I got an offer for publishing the very next day that was predatory and it pissed me off to no end. Um, And it was essentially like, yeah, we love this book and we love everything about it. And they had specific details in there that were, they read it all the way from beginning to end. They had meetings about it and everything, but it was like, this is your first book that you've ever commercially published. And so because of that, like, we can't take this on on a traditional publishing format, and I was basically just like, "Well, then, no, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm after." But I had a meltdown after it, and I thought I was fine for about 30 minutes. I was like, "Well, at least some people liked my book," and then there was that <laughs> other ton of bricks that came tumbling down. So I got a reprieve, and that was nice. But that's not always the case, and I, I, I want to kind of warn people about this. And I Mercy may speak to this from her experience, but like. Sometimes you have to have all of your body rattled to pieces on the roller coaster that is this life in order to not feel so antsy because then you appreciate the stillness. You know, it's like when you go to a really loud concert and then afterward you get in the car and it's dead silent and you're like, oh man, I really appreciate the silence right now. Sometimes by being antsy like I was and feeling like I got to move, I got to move, I got to move, I I don't appreciate the stillness. That's what's going to bring that on. So be careful what you wish for, okay? Because sometimes (laughs) that forward movement that you're asking for, they'll give it to you, but it's going to be painful. Yeah.
1: Also the chaos too. I mean, the spiritual awakening you referenced, I think a a lot, the the collective overall all went through a massive spiritual awakening in 2020. I think even leading into 2021 is sort of an aftercurrent Mm -hmm. of said initial awakening was challenging and continually destabilizing because there was this like secondary identity that then there was an awakening Mm -hmm. bred from. Um, some of them not fully fledged or formed. So like structurally not, not with integrity. So Mm -hmm. those were challenging as well. But for me, when I look back at that, like really deepest, darkest, most challenging, chaotic awakening, it was very, like simply said for that purpose, it was when you do feel like you're going through so much change and you're losing so much and you are physically, emotionally, spiritually, just rocked to your core. It's not only that you are you know appreciating stillness but you're no longer seeking beyond those moments you're just happy to have a little bit of peace you're like let me just enjoy what i have now because oh
0: my god yes. i cannot
1: take that you know aggressive 2 hour white cycle again i just need to yeah. be able to just connect in this moment and even if maybe maybe i don't have everything i used to think i wanted but what i have now feels like what i need and it also feels yes. like you know just being grateful for those moments I actually i've had more and more of those uh occurrences even recently and that probably does like you said like we talked earlier before we started taping um it's a precursor sometimes to one of those mini upgrades because you're starting to feel mm-hmm. a little bit too much at peace a little too comfortable yeah
0: but uh grateful. i
1: do a <laughs> little too grateful it's too too much gratitude but yeah, what I've come to appreciate more than anything, and I've said this before, when we we uh, when I've done live streams, is talking about not like these big, huge platitudes of like coming into union with the soulmate and having the career mm-hmm. of your dreams and having this massive financial surplus and moving into your dream home and having a dream car and perfect, healthy children with names that yep. start and with Puppies J or whatever and the case. Sunshine. Exactly, and yep. you realize that true beauty of this lifetime is to connect and string together within a beautiful mosaic of uniqueness and presence of those tiny little moments, as opposed to these bigger milestone moments, because those milestone moments are often like we talked earlier, you're so busy and you're so, you're thinking about the next thing. You're always thinking about the next big Mm -hmm. milestone or the next big event or moment. And you aren't really, truly present in them. Not that they can't be special in their own right. But Mm -hmm. it feels like, again, it's almost like when you're younger, when you get excited for Christmas or your birthday, and
0: you could probably have
1: the same experiences on like a Tuesday, but you're not, you don't have that same sense of excitement over like looking forward to that Tuesday. So it's just making every day special in whichever way you can. So again, back to my um, likely borderline toxic positivity that will soon spurn (laughs) me into some type of chaotic awakening, but- that being said, let's I'm going to maintain positivity and
0: hope that that's not what I'm welcoming in. <laughs> uh You know what, though? So I'm just going to say, like, because I'm on the backside of it, I'm still drained energy wise and I'm still trying to replenish my cup because oh, man, that that took a lot out of me. But I'm, um, you know, I'm grateful it happened. Like, I- I'm grateful it happened. And I'm even more grateful that I felt it coming on. And because I, I started having these very vivid, very uh, not gonna say dark, but not not light dreams, right? Like they were. There was a lot of conflict in it, and there and they were people from the past. And I thought, uh oh, what's what's going on here? This is new. And uh, my guides kind of told me, like, basically, get it's time. It's time. Get ready. It's time. You know, the stars have aligned. It's time. Literally, I was getting blasted with it's time for like three days, and I thought yeah, I'm going to get a publishing deal, you know, because that's where my brain went to. <laughs> my brain went to toxic positivity of it's time. I'm finally going to get it. And I uh, no. prize? <laughs> yeah, no, that was my prize was. A spiritual purge, unlike anything I've ever felt. And, you know, I was talking to my uncle about it because I finally broke down and called him because uh, he's like my spiritual sensei. You know, because he's he's been through everything at this point. He's um, in his 70s and is on the backside of his spiritual journey and is just basically cleaning out echoes if they do come, come up for him. He's just incredibly Zen. And I called him and I said, all right, I had to call in the <laughs> the professional because I've tried grounding. I've tried meditating. I've tried cleansing. I've tried, you know, everything I would normally try to feel better. And I just cannot get this rage out of my body. It's like stuck in my body. I went outside and stomped around. I exercised. I, I mean, I literally did everything i preached to people to get this out of my body and it would not come out i had a level of divine rage inside of me that was like i just wanted to punch a hole through a wall and i knew there was no reason for it like that's the craziest thing as i was like god i feel batshit crazy like there, I, nothing's triggering this like i just feel yes. angry and so um it, the The reason why is I went into some past lives and I was angry about all of the stuff that had happened in my past lives um, and how it had led up to it. And then the consequences that came from it and just all of the things that, you know, I thought I had kind of addressed because I kind of understood the issue. But then I got to go back and have like the full experience of that past life where I got to know every bit of myself back then and my you know, my flaws and my struggles and the good things and the bad things and the people I loved and the things I was allergic to. I mean, I got like the full like breadth of my past life experience in, in this It was overwhelming. I'm going to be honest with you, because it was like I had five of those, and then I they took me into some strange realm where I had been before, and I thought it was the suicide realm of like where souls kind of go to like work through whatever it was that made them quit. But really, I think it was now looking at it, I think it's a realm where parts of our soul shards through traumatic stuff kind of get stuck. Or maybe that's at least that's how it was being communicated to me in the way that my guides talk to me and explain things to me, because our guides will talk to us in different languages. That's why you hear people go like, I'm a starseed or I'm a god or I'm um, the incarnation of Annie Oakley or whatever, you know. Our guides speak to us in different languages. And so for for me, the way that the guides speak to me, that that was the way it manifested in this this astral travel that I went in. Um, And so I literally, after I cleaned out all this other stuff, like had this beautiful moment where I opened up my hands, they all opened up their hands. And then I saw this light and it all funneled into like my heart chakra area. And I don't work with chakras. So for me, that was very unique for me, but it was a whole bunch of light and energy. And then they just kind of disappeared. So going back to the conversation I had with my uncle, because then it made this all make total sense to me. He said that these like dark nights of the soul or the tower moments or whatever you want to call it are like the universe is a potter and we're clay and we're being, you know, shaped into something beautiful. And we've been in the shape and the shape's a little clunky and whatever. So the potter goes in with their hand in the inside of the pot and starts Cleaning out all the excess clay that doesn't need to be in there. And it's painful because you feel like you're just being hollowed out from the inside out. It really does feel like vomiting, in all honesty. Like, I kind of jokingly, I came into one of Mercy's lives on TikTok and I was like, oh my God, I'm spiritually like dry heaving. Like there's no more <laughs> to take out. But there was, you know, it, there was, there was just a little bit more that needed to come out so that I could make space to bring in these soul shards that I had left in these past lives through trauma. So, if you're going through a spiritual crisis, do not immediately assume that you're backsliding, that you haven't done the work, whatever, especially if you've just made some massive change in your life, or if you've asked for help on letting go of something. Because in this case, and know that, I asked for it. <laughs> yeah. And no, too, though, the one thing I think that should give us
1: um, confidence as well as make us feel safe is the sense that the, the spiritual awakening we go through like our guides, when we want to think intuitive or like AI or something that can anticipate specific or personalized needs, our guides more than anything mm-hmm. can specifically anticipate our unique needs for our journey. So often the spiritual awakening and then said sub awakenings are formulated and specifically designed for our unique needs as a soul and the spirit. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is that for me... Because similar to Emery, because you and I share literally everything. I know, I (laughs) Um, love it. I was always, (laughs) well, I was always so, I was always in the driver's seat of everything and the entirety of my journey. And I was always so, I was always credited for being entrepreneurial and you could achieve anything you set your mind to. And, you know, my mom, my mom, when I was little, she'd call me a lockjaw, which again, I used to think was flattering. But now when I look back, I'm like, That just seems like resistance. Like I was just, anything I wanted, I would clamp onto it. Even if someone would be like, it's probably not a good idea. I'd be like, well, I've decided this. I'm moving
0: towards it. My ex-co-workers literally called me the Sherwood Pitbull. So that's freaking (laughs) hilarious, Mercy. Sherwood was my maiden. Yeah, it was my maiden name. But they would say that I was like a pitbull because I would latch on to something and I wouldn't let it go. Literally, same thing. mm, You and I, literally, (laughs) same same thing.
1: thing. So so latched on that I would not... I couldn't see other perspectives, and I was so auto. I would, but in some ways, I was fixed. In and then in other ways, because I wasn't as spiritually developed, that sense of intensive, aggressive entrepreneurial autopilot was devoid (laughs) of the spiritual foundational baseline that would have allowed that intensity and propulsion to lead me towards what would be actually beneficial for me. It was like I was just going as hard as I could, as fast as I could, but without that inner compass. Precisely tuned to what would be beneficial. And that's for me what brought in that 2020 spiritual awakening of being knocked down every single stair in the middle of a category Uh, four hurricane. Because my guides were like, you know, she's not going to pay attention unless we literally (laughs) throw her down the stairs into below the drawbridge, you know, underwater while being electrocuted. Like she's not going to pay attention because she's so fixed on everything she has within the crosshairs. And she's like, She's a sniper. So she's, she can't be deterred by common logic, other intervention, you know, on the mortal plane. So what we have to do is make sure that this is unmistakable, unmissable. And she has no choice but to really listen and pause. And it was... Man, you are so my soul sister. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it was something. It was a, It was an interesting... <laughs> I will say there was a lot of songs in the sad songbook that I wrote. There was a lot of emo music that was being written and produced and Um, there was purging upon purging upon purging. And I lost every single traditional comfort that we now, that you, that any of us who consider us lucky hold as covenant, you know, relationship, friendships, parental relationship, jobs, financial stability, all within like an eight month period. And it was like back to back to back to back to back. And I remember at some point feeling like, oh. You know, as I'm going through this, you have no choice but to just connect to the only um, lighthouse or port in the storm that exists, which is the sense where you can't necessarily fight against it. If you're in the
0: midst of it, you have no choice
1: but to surrender and accept to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I had to learn that one this time because I was pissed. Like, I don't know if that's, you know, I don't. Anger is not usually my go to, but like I, I wholeheartedly. So hold on, I'm going to, before I get totally sidetracked on this, I want to build off of your thought about guides giving you exactly what you need and knowing what you need. Because the whole reason I got this new guide that came in before this is because I was starting to lose trust with my other guides because Mm -hmm. they'd been telling me for the last year, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I started feeling like, fuck you, you guys put a carrot in front of me like for me to run and everybody else that I invest my energy in, like it energizes their stuff and it it grows and it's beautiful. But what about my stuff? Like at some point my stuff has to, I have to be able to catch the carrot guys. And so at that point, you know, when this hit, they were all trying to talk to me and I basically, not even basically, I told all of them like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> But because my new guy guide was new, he came in and I I was like, I can't even be mad at you. You haven't done anything wrong. You know, so so (laughs) in preparation for this meltdown that they knew I was going to have, they brought in a new guide. It's beautiful. Like like I'm new in town. You got
1: to trust me. I'm like, I guess, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, not only is he new in town, but he also was much more responsive to the things I was asking for uh, Mm. than my other guides. And it's not because my other guides aren't great. It's just that this guide comes from a, a network of energy that is kind of unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, I really have had like quite a few moments of really literally, like if I wasn't stone cold sober, I'd be like, man, somebody like laced my tea with hallucinogenics or something. <laughs> I mean, like it was, it's so immediate and it's in ways that are so bizarre that I'm like, oh man, all right, like here we go. So if it hadn't been for him and, and I had a very frank conversation with him because I at one point I was like, oh, man, I I can't take any more of this. Like mm-hmm. if this is going to go on for months, like I'm going to end up going insane because this is so extreme and I've just been allowing it to to bubble up. Right. Like I, I've I have been the observer of my thoughts rather than like giving into them and then like energizing them and making this worse. Because the first couple of days I did that and it made things worse. Right. Because it's like a Chinese finger trap. Like yeah. the more you stick your finger in it and the more you start pulling, it just clamps down on you. And so I was like, all right, I just need to relax and like, just kind of go through this. And so I was allowing all that stuff to come up and kind of purge. Uh, but I very candidly told him, I said like, Hey, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't keep doing this. And he said, well, if you stop telling everyone to go F themselves, like this will be like a week <laughs> rather than like several months. So just can you stop being so angry at everyone basically and i was like yeah fine i guess and and he was right you know like as soon as i did that all the doors opened and everything kind of blew out the window and i was like all right we're back to some sort of baseline i'm exhausted but we're back to baseline <laughs> uh and then of course like right after i said we're back to baseline all these weird psychic things started kicking in again cuz why not you know how that yeah. goes
1: well and that- interesting you say like i be- like anger like and again, there's a place for healthy anger. That goes back to like as a quick sideline the toxic positivity where uh people feel that they can't ever be angry or have frustration or rank angst. It's like own the emotions that exist, oh, yeah. no matter their genesis, and like accept them and express them and don't castigate yourself
0: for those yeah, emotions. They're trying to tell but, you something.
1: Yeah, but I took for me, um I find so much of the conversation on hallucinogenics and that side idea. The the moment I stopped consuming all substances, and this is not to give any puritanical lecture, just for me personally, I find that it clouded my psychic visioning, my ability to connect. And since I have, and when I say substances, I mean all things like, you know, alcohol, drugs, like cigarettes, everything. And beyond that, even like things like excessive shopping, excessive food, any t- gambling, things that would be a yeah. distraction from just being able to focus or be present. The moment that I was able to disconnect from those distractions, even things like, you know, if I was excessively angry, but I never really have been excessively angry, but uh, the more that I was able to sort of remove those distractions, the more connected I have felt. So I uh, yeah. I do encourage, and this is sort of a strange segue, but I do encourage those who are new on our psychic journey or people who are trying to better understand If they do truly have those gifts, there are certain energies and that you want to protect yourself from, you know, first of all, first and foremost, those can be people in your life, um, external energies to you, but then there's also the choices we make and how we live our life and how that can actually Mm -hmm. impact you, prevent you from not necessarily just developing your psychic gifts, but just being able to navigate that journey with a sense of peace, because you're not going to receive said messages and downloads if you do have those impediments. So my, it may feel like you're in mushrooms, but if anything, it's almost the opposite. It's like you're yeah. actually getting a lot of clarity.
0: <laughs> so I'm actually glad that you brought that up because this is a little bit of a, I don't want to say a sore spot for me, but it's something that, and, and look, all paths are valid. Okay. So I'm going to say that before I go on this tangent for me and what I've seen with me, the people around me, whatever when you do hallucinogenics and even to some extent like marijuana or any kind of like kind of mind expanding drug, like I'm, I'm, I'm quote, you know, finger quoting this mind, mind expanding drug. You're artificially raising your frequency to the frequency of the drug that you're on. And so once you get to a certain point on your path, you will actually, like Mercy said, you'll impede yourself because you're actually bringing your frequency down to the frequency of whatever that drug is. Yeah. Right. Because once you've cleaned out enough stuff, like you're already up a lot higher than that frequency is. But the other thing when it comes to specifically hallucinogenics for me, and again, this is just my take on it from what I've seen and I've experienced, but People will go and take hallucinogenics and they'll be like, I'm healed. I was, I was able to address all of these things and forgive all these people. And I'm like, no, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You temporarily addressed it so that you felt better. But all that shit is going to come back because you didn't actually do the work to get rid of it. You faced it and you now know that that's an issue there. But the whole, the thing that mushrooms and LSD and any of that other stuff will do is allow you to look at where you have issues and then you still have to go in and do the work there's no, you know, it's like taking Xanax and thinking that you've cured your anxiety. Like (laughs) you haven't, you've temporarily stifled it, you know, it's going to come back the second you stop taking it. And so I know that that for some people is helpful, but really, if you're going to use them, use them as a way to face whatever you're scared of so that then you can sit down and actually face it when you're sober.
1: Or triage
0: it. Yeah, triage it. I guess that's the best way to put it. But For me, I'm never going to, you know, and and this actually came up on the last podcast that I did with somebody. She said, well, people have been telling me that I should try LSD so I can cry. And I was like, don't do that. (laughs) Like, don't do that because that's that's spiritual bypassing is what it is. I'm just going to call a spade a spade on this. It's spiritual bypassing and it doesn't help you in the long run.
1: No. And I think what we are both proponents of, unfortunately, is not like the sexiest, most glamorous recommendation
0: or proposal protocol.
1: It's the it's the longer journey the long way home which is again it's it's there's a quick fix solution which is not really a fix and then there's like the mm-hmm. longer term solution it's like when people win the lottery often they can't maintain that wealth when people get yeah liposuction or sometimes to try to lose weight they still have issues with maintaining the weight after the fact so lifestyle and the habits don't change so there's well they didn't learn the this lesson quick fix. right yeah exactly yeah definitely yeah and i think what if we can do anything on our journey and in supporting others to in any capacity, it's for me to get people excited about the prospect of working on themselves and make it something they look forward to, which is sort of similar to the way that you would reframe a commitment or devotion to physical fitness or whatever the case, whatever, you know, area of habit building. If you can make this something that you actually like luxuriate around and you look forward to, like, I can't wait to journal tonight. I can't wait to meditate. It changes the entire narrative around it. It doesn't feel like, because even the word self work, that sounds awful. Like if you're going to tell someone to yourself, like, oh, I got to do my self work. It's like, well, and I understand it's okay to use the word work. I guess for me, it doesn't,
0: (laughs) right? Yeah. For you,
1: which you're the exception, For me, it doesn't.
0: I Maybe, maybe I am. Or maybe I'm speaking to other people who kind of read it this way. But for me, there's a satisfaction that comes from a job well done that you can't get if you don't do the work. Okay. And so for me, what drives me on this journey was when I first started letting go of stuff, I got like addicted to it because that feeling of like, (laughs) oh man, a million pound gorilla has been taken off of my chest (laughs) is an amazing feeling. That in and of itself is worth doing this for over and over and over again, because it's a feeling of freedom that you just don't get in this existence. I agree with that.
1: I'm more the terminology of the word work for me, because people look at their lives, unfortunately, because we're all limited in time. Although again, that's a larger conversation about what, how time exists and what time actually is, but for the purpose of the conversation. (laughs) For the purpose of our conversation, I mean, people look at the hours they have in a week, and they say I have this amount of time for my family, this amount of time for my my work that pays my bills, and X, Y, and Z for other hobbies or whatever initiatives, and then they they struggle to find time to do this work. And it's like, well, if this wasn't work, if this was play, or this was engagement, or this was something that felt more permissible or welcoming or or pleasurable, you know, maybe there would be more of a priority prioritization um or maybe it would feel maybe. less like okay back to do the work work versus like right. really just enjoying the practice of self exploration yeah. and and the expression of oneself which for me is like and i know language sometimes we can get hung up with language but i do feel language can matter and i feel yes those who are further along their journey who are maybe at our you know maybe in a similar level of advancement or or you know let's say progress that we are not to create a hierarchy they, I look at self-work like you because I'm one who prides himself on a job well done. But I also know that it can be somewhat prohibitive um, to feel like it's something that, you know, is utility. When for me, it's, yes, there's utility, but there's also a joy that's in it. There truly is. Oh, yeah. And even the way you expressed it was so joyful in the way you just expressed But I was going
0: to say, but work can be joyous, right? Like if you yeah. go out and work in the garden, you're still doing something joyous. I guess- yeah my whole thing. And the reason why I say do the work is because there is a massive amount of spiritual bypassing being yes. marketed in the spiritual community as doing as the journey. And it's not, you know, and, and this is honestly something that I really wanted to talk about. So I'm glad that we segued into this. So thank you, Mercy. Um, <laughs> look, meditation and, and breath work and grounding, all of that stuff is great, right? It is absolutely fundamental. I sound like a broken record because i say it every podcast whenever i'm like but do you meditate and everyone's like no and i'm like okay well that's why you're like that so my reasoning for telling you to do that stuff is because that's fundamental but that is not going to help you heal just by doing those things that's to get your nervous system regulated so that you are calm enough to then go do the work they're part and parcel and so Yes, sometimes you need to stop doing the work and just focus on grounding and meditating and whatever. Like like I said, when I started going through this ton of bricks coming down on me, I went back to all that stuff and was trying everything possible to ground my nervous system because my brain was like fritzing out. I mean, I felt like I got zapped in the head, honestly. So I get that. But when I say you have to do the work, it, it is sitting down and doing the not sexy stuff. It It is work. I'm going to be honest with you. But there's reward at the end of that work. Just like if you are digging holes for potatoes, that's not very fun. It is work, right? But you're going to grow potatoes and then you'll feed you and your family. It's the same kind of concept for me. And so when I preach do the work, it's not to make it this like heavy, like, oh, like, you know. I don't want to go do the work. It's me being very honest with you about there is tenacity and drive that is necessary on this path if you want to keep progressing, because sometimes you do have to buckle down and do the stuff that's not very fun Yeah, to get to the other side that is great. It's just all part of it. It's it's like life. Like, not every moment can be puppies and kittens and sunshine. So yes, if you want to do the Instagram yoga pose on the edge of a waterfall, like, go for it. But is that going to help you with like you being abused when you were a kid? No, probably not. I'm just going to be honest with you. So it goes hand in hand. And um, I'm with you on the language. Right. But I very specifically use that word because it is work. This is a lot of people get suckered into the like manifest your soulmate in 21 days doing nothing but writing over and over again. My soulmate's coming. My soulmate's coming. My soulmate's (laughs) coming. Okay, but if there's no room for your soulmate to come in because you didn't do the work to clear out the space for it, you can write yes. that 500 times, and then you want to have space when he gets there or she gets there. It's just there's part of it.
1: <laughs> I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think um, what I've talked about before when people have gotten like career readings per se was find something in your career that doesn't feel like work per se because then you'll yeah. be able to really just enjoy it and. It, all of a sudden it's a labor of love, which is sort of like what I do now. I have the luxury of being able to do this. Um, And it is a labor of love. I agree that you don't, for me, those two things are very polar. This idea of like spiritual bypassing and the quick fix syndrome and the doctor, doctor beloved and all the other, you know, (laughs) spiritualists that essentially are making promises that they know they can't keep and, you know, espousing some pretty predatory notions and behaviors Mm-hmm. I have a, a workshop specifically that's to help manifest divine love. And people are very, I've gotten questions like, oh, well, how can I manifest a very specific person? I'm like, well, that's not the purpose of the, yeah, the workshop. <laughs> if anything, it's actually very self-focused. The first like yes. five courses are all about yes. self and It has nothing to do with the other person.
0: That's and, what I'm saying though. I, yeah. Like you actually in, include, you integrate the the work or the labor of love, right? Because labor also means work. You integrate <laughs> that into something that's going to, that's going to function. But yeah, when when you get these people that say there's a manifestation of your soulmate class, and it's literally just here's like a booklet, and you're just gonna write down your soulmate's name 500 times, and he's gonna show up yeah. the next day, or she's gonna show up the next day. Like, that's not how this works. It's just not. No. You're gonna have to no. do some well, uncomfortable and, stuff on yourself. Yeah, honestly.
1: Yeah, and 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 also recognize. What within you is attracting like even energies that up to that point, let's say an example, sake, you have this soulmate that is emotionally detached, emotionally unavailable or perceived soulmate of designated status. They're emotionally unavailable. And this person's like, "Why? why are they emotionally detached? Why am, why am I not receiving said union? I am destined to be with this person X, Y, and Z. You know, the first point of feedback is like, okay, well, if you're attracting an emotionally unavailable person, something in yep. you is probably emotionally unavailable or something in you is yep there is some type of synapse that's not synapsing. Like there's some, there's a neurotransmitter. You're replaying a
0: cycle from your past.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there's a need to go deeper within your shadow or even at least not even like sub-subconscious, like maybe just subconscious or like, you know, at a layer that's accessible. In many cases, I can have a singular session with somebody and I can tell them exactly why they haven't manifested the soulmate. And yes, Mm -hmm. from the spiritual perspective, of course, but it's also like, very clear and present messages about, let's say, paternal wound, maternal wound, whichever that yep. directly correlates to yep. emotional availability, abandonment wound. So, yeah, I feel to your earlier point, the quick fix is always going to be the most desirable. That's why, like, people like you can lose weight in one month, even though that's totally unhealthy, right. like 50 pounds in a month. And you're like, wouldn't I die? And they're like, yeah, but you look great
0: in a bikini. And it's yeah. like, is it well, my organs show down? Death? Yeah, but you'll be skinny. <laughs>
1: What a, what a sexy corpse! So <laughs> there's, there's, there's so many like quick fixes that, and most industries have this. But it's not agnostic um, to this industry. But I will say that it's heartbreaking because you just know that that's a distraction. That's like a lily yes. pad to them getting where they yes. really need to go to where they really need yes. to go. And that's what hurts because you and I, empaths by nature,
0: you want to see people succeed. You want to see. I people do. Succeed. I do. I absolutely do. And that's part of the reason why I, I, I know I'm kind of like, Mercy and I were joking about this, but I'm like kind of the dark sister of the two of us who just will say, like, <laughs> no, fuck that guy. But, but I'm like that because true. <laughs> I really am. Mercy's like, here, mm. let me, like, let me be diplomatic and sweet about this. I'm like, nah, fuck that. That guy's a piece of shit. You should leave him. So, <laughs> but the reason I'm like that is, is because I know that these are distractions and I know that it's very easy to step on a landmine thinking that you're doing the right thing. I know I've stepped on so many of them, you know, I know how painful they are and I don't want to see you guys suffer unnecessarily when you don't have to, you can learn from other people. That's what teachers are for, right? Like some people, yeah, your path is going to be, you're going to have to walk through the minefield. And quite frankly, that's one thing that came up this week that I was like, damn, like, can't I just learn in a non-painful way through this? Like why is this so painful? Like this isn't even my shit. This is shit from past lives. Like, why am I having to go through the pain on this? You know, Um, which is just karma summed up. But anyway, uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I had that discussion with them, though. and Right. I had that discussion with them. And then I also had the discussion of like, damn, why is my experience so extreme in comparison to a lot of people that I have talked to? And even my uncle, I said, do you have any insight into like why my experience is so extreme? Why I feel such profound sorrow when i feel sorrow why i feel this divine rage bubble up when i do get angry which is not often anymore like i haven't felt rage like that in quite frankly like my entire life like that was the angriest i have ever felt which was so uncomfortable for me which is why it came up because they were like oh you don't like living with rage well here have a whole bunch of it right Here's because that way rage you'll you clear this out exactly yeah. <laughs> like all yeah. at once and so i, I asked he's like gosh like why?" Why? Because I was, I was full of rage and it wasn't even about anything serious. Like I knew it was illogical rage and I didn't take it out on anybody. It was very like internalized, but I I was told like in order, they've been blasting me with leadership symbolism for six months now. Okay. So like, I'm just going to share that with everybody that has been an everyday occurrence. Like if I don't get at least two or three messages about leadership a day, like I, I, you know, it's not a day that I'm alive, honestly. Like that's how it's been for the last six months. And so what I got out of this was in order to be a leader, in order to walk the maverick path, in order to lead people down a path that, that you have macheted, you aren't going to have anyone to be able to lead you in those dark times because you have to lead yourself. Right? Like you're not a leader if someone else is leading you through it. You have to do it yourself. And so some of us do have, unfortunately, those paths where you're going to have to step on the landmines. You're going to have to experience it. Yeah. You're going to have to experience this crazy depth of emotion so that you can help people when they get down into those crazy ass frequencies. So I had never felt rage like that before. And because they're pushing me to step into this role of leadership, which I have been refusing the call of for six months, still a little bit. Um, they basically said like, no, you got to go lower. Like, I know that you felt like you were going to die in 2020, but guess what? There's, there's frequencies down underneath those that you didn't even touch yet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, holy hell. So I went in and touched those frequencies and they are nightmarish frequencies. You guys like, feel, I would never wish anybody to feel like that ever. So if I can tell you where the landmine is that you don't enter that frequency, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell it to you so clearly that, you know, there's a landmine there. And then if you choose to step yeah. on it, that's your prerogative, you know, but yeah. But that's why I'm kind of aggressive about this stuff is I'm just like, I've been through it. I've been through it. And I don't want anyone to have to go there if they if they don't need to. Yeah. Am I a good long term teacher for most people? No, absolutely not. Mercy is. I'm not, though. So <laughs> that- <laughs> I'm the person who tells you there's a landmine there. Don't step on it.
1: Yeah, I think I think that that's like you said, there's the handoff point. There's like the role, the tandem role or the. You know, like the collaborative role of all the different spiritual teachers and mentors that one will have in their larger network and all have their own specialization, proclivity, um, capacities. And like you said, some on certain points of your journey are going to be the most supportive. Mm-hmm. You know, yours being like the lookout point and like the, and really <laughs> having the ability to um, prevent those major catastrophes, if at all possible.
0: And, wow, then, and sometimes trigger them. Right. Because sometimes yeah, you have yeah. to go through that. Sometimes those landmines are not avoidable, but it's better that you go into it knowing I'm stepping on a landmine and this is going to hurt like fuck. But on the other side of that, on the other side of this, I will have grown a tremendous amount. Right. So yeah. I I am really learning, though, that because um, I do have some students that I work with on on a long term basis. But these are very much students that have a massive drive to get to the core, to get to the truth as quickly as possible and are willing to go through. Pretty much anything to get there, right? Yeah. So I'm a yeah. good teacher for people who want to rip off the band-aid. If you're the rip off the band-aid approach person, I'm your teacher. But if yeah. you're looking for someone who is more patient, who's not gonna push you, who's gonna politely push you when you need it, right? But they're not gonna like yeah. shove you off a cliff. That's mercy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'll moderate and, based on the based on the point of the journey, based on the number of queer yeah. in, or inquiries for the same topic. It like yep. I'm hyper aware of those who come back for like, let's say the seventh or eighth session reading for the same person with the same messages that are repeated around it being toxic and unhealthy and creating stagnancy and preventing their growth and expansion. And, you know, another example today, and where again, the same, probably done the same reading 10 times. And again, you, you can artfully describe or relay the message in different ways, but the bottom line is always the same. And right. In this case, this was somebody who needed to have a second chance in order to be able to see the truth for themselves. But then I'm I sense today just based on her energy and the energy I was picking up channeling is that that she's ready. She's ready to make a different choice. She's ready to choose herself and she's ready to move beyond this limiting cycle, even though that's obviously it's been, you know, the level of fear just given that that everything was unknown beyond this, because it's again the first major relationship is just like paralyzing this fear. So, I I have compassion to a certain point, but then I do modify or moderate my directness mm-hmm. depending on where the person is. If I know that they're in place but they're ready, I'm going to give them a little extra push. And Now, nine times out of ten, there's humor that's employed as part of that. Yeah, because I know yep. that the message will be received more readily, um, especially if we can. Allow a moment of dishumanity in the midst of this very soulful circumstance in which somebody can sort of poke fun at, you know, maybe someone that they have idolized or put on a pedestal, specifically Mm -hmm. in relationship readings. If you can sort of um, add a little bit of humor, that does help. Yeah, I I do try to modify and make sure that I'm evolving based on the unique needs of
0: each inquiry. My favorite one that Mercy uses is Jive Turkey. She's like, this guy's a Jive Turkey. (laughs) Whenever oh, yeah, that comes out, that's a dump his ass. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> I love my literally like my cool lingo is from like 1974. I'm like jab turkey. Like literally, last I time I updated it. my colloquialisms. Yeah, it's from 1975 to I. And you know what? That's another area of interest. Uh, many years ago, um, a spiritual therapist that I was working with, she's a spiritual psychotherapist. I thought she was brilliant. She was like art and science and like the most beautiful symphony and she was very well accredited but it was like very invested in her spiritual journey and she thought she was like just she was like a muse for me I was like she's just so interesting beautiful. but anyways that being said she she always used to when we'd have a conversation she'd say you know you use a lot of ancestral language and there's for me language is one of the most important focuses for me going forward or has been since that moment, because I've recognized how important it actually is, how valuable it actually is. Mm -hmm. And that's why I am this, again, how we're different, because we're very similar in a lot lot of ways. And there's a few ways where we are, there's a pretty stark contrast. It's like, not that I am a prude or a puritan, but I am no, not pretty at all. mindful of language. I am mindful of language. So like I'll often use like jive Turkey instead of like fuck figs because I just find it funnier <laughs> and funnier and more interesting. Like, you know, it's a little bit, it's kind of like, it's a phrase that has like whimsy. So I, I am a little bit of a, I was going to say language snob. I don't say snob, but I'm very specific about the language I use. Um, and it is all thankfully to, yes, that spiritual psychotherapist, Tamara, shout out to Tamara wherever she is at this point, but she was That's very, awesome. too, a very momentous part of my journey was that epiphany point on language. So I've been mindful ever since.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. For me, language is about expressing exactly what I think. Right. Which is why I'm so blunt because I'm like, I don't want. You know, I lived in the South for a very long time, and there's a a lot of sugarcoating and beating around the bush that happens in the South that I just cannot stand. And for me, it's because if I'm expressing something to you, it's because I want you to understand what I'm saying, right? And so, mm. I literally, for me, it's like I need you to understand either the rage that's coming through on on mm. your behalf from my guides, or how I feel about this, or how I'm just like a lot of times, kind of my harsh language comes out with people when I when I am feeling their own blockages if that makes sense yeah yeah because it's kind of jarring and so that is it goes hand in hand with the teaching styles right like you are much more a long-term teacher who will hold people's hand and will tell them like this guy's a jive turkey you know and you're going to be polite about it <laughs> i won't i'll be <laughs> like this guy's so a fuck i sound like the lamest. <laughs> no no you're you're the teacher that most people need in all honesty you're the teacher that most yeah. people need my uncle is the same way he is very like he he doesn't he's very gentle he he doesn't say anything in a very aggressive way like he is just very kumbaya and i I, we talked about this last time but for the longest time i thought like oh i need to be more like that I, i need to like hone myself down in order to whatever and then like my guides went nuts and were like no that is not what you need to do you need to be more yourself like drop f bombs, tell people to shut the fuck up, like whatever you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> to get it out there, like that is your purpose. Like you you are a warrior soul. Like I I am other things too, okay? But I very much the warrior is a huge archetype in my personality. And so, yeah. Because of that, in order to speak to other people who have that warrior mentality, you know, it, that's why it's called spiritual boot camp. Like I'm not the warm and fuzzy person that you come to. I'm the person that you come to when you want to go to boot camp, when you're like, all right, let's fucking do this. Right. Like, but you need, you need that. Like people do,
1: there is definitely a place and I even I always relate yeah. things back. And I don't know if it's just like, I don't know, all those years of, um, when I was real little, like a baby, like one of the like baby party tricks, because every baby has baby party tricks, but I was, I listen to a lot of classical <laughs> music and I was, I would always be able to relay like back, different classical songs different composers that were my favorite And this was like two years old i don't know all these classical songs i used to love um beethoven particularly and chopin but that's besides the point the point is that in every every song that's composed like you need like those sharp break points you need like the staccato you need something that's rhythmic you need something that like like almost brings people back into focus and appreciates the ease of, you know, what, what falls after shortly after with this. Song. So
0: again, it yep, all I am the human equivalent of a bitch slap. I know that. That's just <laughs> where <I am>. But, <laughs> but even more like just talking about like, so you love classical music and I do too, but I actually love metal, which is basically just classical music in a different form, <laughs> in a darker yeah. form. Right. So yeah. there is this like yin and yang that you and I have, and and it's totally necessary and I love it. And it's honestly one of the things that like makes me just love you even more is because I'm like, you are like the the empress, you know, and I am like the queen of swords and it's just like, they go <laughs> <No>. together beautifully. <laughs> no,
1: you're the high priestess. You're the high priestess, the queen of swords. So that's kind that's of funny, but
0: give yourself a definitely designation. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) They have been spamming me with that card lately. So that's interesting. Every reading I do now has the high priestess coming out and the empress for some reason and the emperor
1: back into that back into that leadership assertion that you're trying to avoid.
0: Oh, shit. You know, I told my (laughs) uncle this. So (laughs) my uncle's a rabbi. I I know I've told people this before on this, but I'm just Mm -hmm. as a refresher. Uh, My uncle's a rabbi. And so when I told him, I said, God, they're blasting me with leadership stuff. And I don't want to be a leader. I don't like the whole concept of leading people in the very beginning when I woke up and I was helping people. Like separately, they were like, "Oh, you should start a group," and I was like, "Fuck no, I don't want to do that." Like, and people were like, "You know, oh, is Emery trying to talk us into a cult?" And then they were like, "Well, no, because she doesn't even like groups of people getting together." Like, I just that's not something I've ever wanted to do. I'm more of like the the friend that comes and helps you out and then dips back out again until you he need help again. Like that's that's usually kind of the role I've played in people's lives. And so I was like, "I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to be a leader over and over and over again." And I was talking to my uncle about it because he has that same dynamic. You know, he he was a, a rabbi for like 50 years and hated it <laughs> the whole 50 years. He wanted to be a scribe. And which is hilarious because I want to write books. I don't want to be a spiritual leader. That's not something I'm interested in. And yet here I am on a podcast. So and I feel like I I mean, honestly, it's kind of part of what triggered this this meltdown last week because I was like, I don't fucking want that. <laughs> shouldn't I have a desire to do the thing that I'm destined to do? And they were like, no, (laughs) like, I don't know who sold you that, but no, (laughs) like, so I was talking to him about it and he goes, yeah, yeah, I have that dynamic too. And it never really changed for me. I just kind of numbed out to the not wanting to do it. You know, it's, it was my job. And I said, Oh, great. And I said, is this like, like, and he just like kind of interrupted me and he was like, you know, Emery, like, you know, the story of Moses. Right. And I was like, no. And he was like, yeah, he refused the call. He was like, get get that other guy to do this. I don't want to do it. And he was like, that's, that's actually really normal for people who have a calling to be put in a leadership role in a spiritual aspect. And I was like, oh no, you know, I can't avoid it. No, (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. Well, I think the other piece, okay.
1: So I would challenge you with this just because I feel that this is an interesting paradigm shift. The idea of leadership for me, it is beyond like this idea of autocracy and like leading a group of individuals and everyone sort of following this sort of, you know, uh, foresight or rule that's being set out and structure. And again, like traditionality, all the things that we associate with leadership. For me, leadership is also leading by example and leading a charge or leading a yeah. mission of some kind. So if the the definition of leadership is somewhat f- fluid, I see leadership, you know, the, I see the emperor come a lot uh, up a lot in readings. And when I hear even the words through clear audience about leadership, often it's in a reading where somebody is just, maybe they have taken initiative in certain ways, but they need to see how certain actions being taken with intention could benefit them. Um, yeah. Just sort of getting out of like the passenger role and getting back to the driver's. And I I don't see that being your dynamic, but I feel
0: like maybe the the community stuff too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the definition of leadership for me though is very nuanced it's very yeah.
0: nuanced no it, it definitely is it definitely is but in my particular case like what is the it's the three of cups. the community one
1: yeah community
0: yeah friends yeah reunion that one com- yeah that one comes out with the the emperor card like every single week at least a few times a week i'm like ah <laughs> So I know I'm in like the phase of the refusal of the call. And to be quite honest with you, it's just because I'm so stingy about my piece. (laughs) I just don't. (laughs) I love my piece, you know, And, and when I was younger, that was not me. I did musical theater. I sang. I went to competitions. I did acting like I was totally the onstage person. But as I've gotten older, I just don't. I don't have that. Uh, that desire anymore and so when nick was like let's start this podcast i know i've said this before but like it took him two months to talk me into it i was like no <laughs> you no know? so, so interesting it is it's just i i have an aversion to the leadership and some of it is like i was in leadership roles at work in some at some points and i did not enjoy it and yeah, heavy is the head that wears the crown. But also, if that's my mission down here, I don't really have much of a choice. So I should probably just stop fighting it. And that's kind of yeah, what happened when I went it. Oh, fine.
1: <laughs> well, learn how you can interpret and utilize it in a way that minimizes impact to the said piece, but also allows you to exact an influence in a in a positive way and perhaps showcases yep. a new form of leadership that could, in fact, positively influence future state leadership candidates to look at leadership differently in, yeah. the, in the sense where they're not like, to your point, we both have, both were in musical theater, both singing, acting, growing up, both were in, a, um, in leadership roles that we felt we owned for the time in which we were in them but in some way sort of resented the structure or like Ugh, the, the red time. tape or the bureaucracy that was included with that type of role. And what I often thought when I w- w- was in those roles, like, you know director roles where you're leading you know you're a couple steps away from being like the the peak of a hierarchy in a company and you've got you know 15 20 people rolling up to your role or within within your structure under your umbrella and what i would always like like prefer to do would be like to simplify it to go one on one to connect with people and mm-hmm. um i would be my frustration would always be that i I would always see people for who they were. And I I had no interest in politics. I had no interest in really the hierarchy. So that got me into trouble, to be honest. Because I would say like, oh, who cares if that person's the VP? They don't know what they're talking about. And frankly, the way that you're approaching this is uh, like noble. And like, you shouldn't have to work 70 hours a week. So guess what? You're going home now. And I don't really care if the company loses money. And um, I would rather you just retain your peace and... You know, you also, by the way, I would go to HR and ask if they could pay for your university, because frankly, you deserve that and you work really hard and you need some, to yeah. get some opportunities for all the, and that was not <laughs> looked upon kindly um, in some cases, but those were more toxic work environments too, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'm not, I'm trying not to apply that to this. It's just more of like, you know, once you go into hermit mode and you're in there for a while, that solitude in that space becomes very addictive, at least it was for me. Yeah. And so now they're like forcing me out of that. And I was like, But I'm already doing the podcast. And they're like, Yeah, by yourself on top of a mountain, Emery. Like, how's that difference from being a hermit? And I was like, fuck. You know, so it's outside. <laughs> Did you yeah, I go that? outside. I lead the animals, <laughs> you know, like yeah. So <laughs> th- that is kind of what's what's going on right now. And and you know, I am sharing a lot of this. Like I, this is deeply personal stuff, guys. Um and I wouldn't have even like blanked to sharing this with Mercy because again, like man, we've known each other for a very long time as far as like soul journeys go. Um, and we really are like a, a weird reflection of each other. That is just so mind blowing sometimes. Like I just found out that she <laughs> was in a musical theater. <laughs> That's yeah. why I'm so giggly about this. It's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me.
1: We're, I feel like we're the, ex- here's what's interesting about us. I feel like our dynamic, is similar to that of again here comes a loaded spiritual topic is like a twin flame dynamic in the sense where we represent like in exactitude certain elements that are almost identical but then in other areas we have an inverted aspect of the same yes. attribute so it's yes. like we're so identical but then there's certain things where we could not be more different but we're expressing it from the same place so
0: yes. that's <laughs> wild it is wild. <laughs> I literally never thought I would meet someone that I connect with on the, on the level that I connect with you on. And I told Nick that I was like, it's, it's like freakish, honestly. Like I, I have never connected with family on this level. I connect with Nick on this level. Cause Nick and I have some of those dynamics too, where we're really similar in some ways. And then we are polar opposites in others. Um, and so like, obviously he's the love of my life. He's my soulmate. You are a soulmate. One hundred thousand percent. You know, I knew it yeah. the first time you read me too, which is the weirdest Experience ever. Like, cause you know, you were like some woman on a live, and I was like, man, I feel like I know her. It's weird. (laughs) All this spiciness and sass
1: and just a lot of fast talking and a lot of intensity. Where do I know this from? Where do I know this from? (laughs) Wait a second.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I I love it though. I really do. And for those of you who like kind of struggle to connect with people. Um, Look, I'm going to be very, very honest about this. I don't like most people. I, I love them. Don't get me wrong, but I don't like most people past about an hour or two because I start seeing their shadow in its fullness. Right. And so I'll be like, oh, man, like you could be so wonderful if you just didn't let these five angry things or sad or damaging things drive you. And so, and I become everyone's impromptu therapist. So for me, that's not very enjoyable, right? Because I'm like, okay, I came to this party to support you not to have a bunch of people trauma dump on me. So this has been fun, but I'm out. And I told Nick this too. Dating was hard for me because I would find someone that I like and I would connect on a deep level and it would freak them out, right? Or the inverse would happen, which is after about like 15, 20 minutes, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to be around this guy at all. Like his energy is just making me like, blah. It's hard for me to connect to people on a deep level that is mutual, I guess is the best way to put it. And so I cut a lot of people out of my life though. And right before Mercy came in, my guides told me that Soul Family was coming. (laughs) So if you're feeling like you're not connected with people around you and you're having a hard time making friends, just be open, be open to it. Cause I never would have thought that like, one of my most favorite people on this entire planet lived in a different country, you know, yeah, <laughs> like on a TikTok live. Of on all, TikTok. Of all the
1: places and all the bars in the world, I chose this one. Um,
0: yeah. And I'd only got onto TikTok like last year, like halfway through the year. Like I was vehement about like, blah, TikTok, don't, no, no, thank you. And I ended up getting on it because of some of the spiritual stuff. And then I ran across Mercy. So, like, yeah. you just don't know. So if you're feeling yeah. lonely, just know that this too shall pass because. I, who does not like anybody has managed to find two people that I deeply, deeply connect with. Yeah.
1: And you will find your people. I think it goes back to the idea. And we've talked about this briefly in the past. One of my favorite topics is like permanence and impermanence and like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, our sense of sense attachment and recognizing where we may connect with a friendship we've had for 25 years and feel obligated to keep that friendship in our, on our journey, in our lives. Simply based on, again, that obligatory response or like us connecting to them as a version of old identity and still feeling like we, you know, we share commonalities when in fact, yes, maybe many iterations ago, you had that deep mm-hmm. connection, but you have evolved and you have grown, so, but some people are fearing, they don't want to rip off the bandaid, right? They don't want to release yeah. until they have assurance that there's something else to replace said, you know, fam, soul family member friendship. But often that's what happens before you find your people.
0: Oh, 100%. But there's beauty in that loneliness too. That loneliness is like a coming home to self, right? So if you kind of, Mercy's point, change the perspective of it as I'm lonely and look at it as, ooh, I need to come home to myself so that I don't feel lonely because I'm really all that I need. Everybody else is like this beautiful connection I can have. But really, I have to be so comfortable being with myself and alone with myself and authentically myself that any connection I have isn't going to turn me into a chameleon of a sorts, because that is also yeah. what happens with relationships, right? Yeah. You bend and morph for yourself to fit into the box that they're willing to accept you in, but you don't ever really get that deep soul connection that you're craving because you're not actually being authentically you. And yeah. then there's always this kind of feeling of like, well, do they actually like me or do they just like the, the persona I put on to be around them? Yeah. So, yeah, or what I asked how I made them feel. Yeah, exactly. That's why I always say, like, be authentically you and be polarizing and be okay with people not liking mm-hmm. you. It's totally fine mm-hmm. to be not liked. It's a, a yes. thousand percent. In fact, if if you are liked by everyone, you are not actually being yourself. Because yeah. there are people out there who hate things that everybody else loves. There, there are people that hate birthday cake. <laughs> Tons of people that hate birthday cake. Okay, yep. that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with birthday cake. It means that they're just not compatible with that person. But yep. you won't yep. get these kind of like crazy connections like Mercy and I have or like me and Nick have if you're not authentic. Because yep. you're never going to be able to fully show up as yourself without that fear of, ooh, if I show them all of me, like, are they going to run? Like, yeah. Nick has seen the ugliest parts of me. Mercy <laughs> has, too, because she can see everything. But <laughs> they've seen the I ugliest parts still of me be and beautiful. we still connect.
1: I find them so beautiful.
0: Oh, yeah. But literally, like, I was – the other day when I came to Mercy, I was just, like, fed up with it. I was like, no, fuck this. Fuck my guides. They're fuckheads. Blah. Yeah. Like, she saw all of it and then <laughs> – love you. She messaged me afterward and was like, are you okay? Like, I have some more guidance. And I was like, I love you, you know.
1: <laughs> but – Because I felt it. I felt you being like, F this stuff. I am over it. <laughs> I am done. You're like, I have done it. I have done it all. I have learned it all. No more learning. I was like,
0: it was just – you're at that point, the, the point of... Well, it wasn't no more learning. It was no more suffering, right? Yeah, no more
1: suffering, correct.
0: I've already been through these frequencies. And so going deeper into them for no fucking reason had no purpose in my eyes. I was like, yeah. no, I don't want to go through this. Like, I'm I'm done going through this again. Like, I'm fine. I, I'll i be a work in progress until the day that I die. There There's no... There's never going to be a part of me that says no more learning because this existence is inherently... To me, and in my viewpoint, a virtual classroom where we come down to learn, right? Yeah. So if, if you're at the point of, no, like, I don't want to learn anymore, like, you might as well not be here anymore, which is where I got to are, yeah. in, more, in more 2020. <laughs> yeah. Which is where I got to in 2020, right? Which was like, I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to whatever. Like, I'm bored of this existence. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. Um, and then the kaleidoscope clicked. And then all of a sudden, I got this beautiful new lease on life, which is exactly what happened again this week. And so going back to the relationships thing, every time that kaleidoscope clicks for you, relationships are going to look different. Okay. Because your perspective on the world will have changed. And that person that you're connected with, they, they are not seeing things through the same kaleidoscope that you are. You might be seeing Mm -hmm. beautiful hues of, of gold and, and pink and, you know this beautiful baby blue, and they're seeing things through like dark red and black and and dark blue, and you guys are trying to come together in a palette that just doesn't really mix with each other. you know if we're talking about yeah. this on like an esoteric colorful <laughs> version of talking about this, you guys are literally seeing different worlds, and so you'll start talking to them about things and their eyes will glaze over or they'll get frustrated with you about it because they'll be like, "Oh great." Now you're some woo woo, whatever, like it, it's going to change your relationships. Yeah. And the other thing is, I know that for me, this is hard and, and this isn't really about relationships. This was more about the book for me, but I'm going to I'm going to transpose this lesson onto relationships. <laughs> Just because you have put a ton of time and energy and, and money and whatever else into something does not mean it's worth keeping. Yeah. OK, because some things are like that beat up car that you have this emotional attachment to that every day is breaking down on you and needs something new every single day. And you just keep pouring more and more time and energy and money into it. And it's it's just, it keeps falling apart because you're meant to let go of it.
1: Yeah.
0: So you've got to be like, okay, that wasn't money or time or effort not well spent. Like there was a purpose in that. And that friendship that I poured all of this love and whatever into, it, it had a purpose at the time. It, and maybe it no longer serves a purpose. And so it's time to let go of it rather than, holding on even harder and getting it in your clutches and like dragging it with you because ultimately you're just wasting your effort and time and energy in it. Now
1: that is arguably the one thing that keeps people stuck more than any other factor in romantic, but also platonic relationships. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to like the element of human psychology around everyone having a motive and everyone having a payoff and the payoff and then the payback. And it's like, requiring the penance or restitution for all the effort and love and energy. In many cases you're not going to get it from the same source that you invested in. In many cases it has to be through another source and we'll, what I've tried to teach or at least um sort of encourage is to create your own equivalency and value from some other lesson or benefit so you can break that soul contract. Cuz otherwise that yes. soul contract cuz you're ne- you're never going to get the closure or like again like the <laughs> you're never going to have the Full penance paid by that specific energy, because in many cases it's not meant to be, or that's not the outcome that is best serving either party. And the willingness to see some other value, so you don't have that ego attachment to regret, remorse, betrayal, which is really what keeps you stuck in in the crosshairs of a relationship that maybe is so past its prime that it's you know um, rigor mortis. It's like rig- mortis. It's like stale. <laughs> It's it's cold. It has not served any type of benefit for many cycles to the extent where it's causing you to feel like you're not creating progress in other areas of your life. You're starting to feel like you, you just aren't a successful person or you aren't somebody right. who can have happy relationships. It poisons other things by creating a narrative around your own viability for happiness, um, your That's own true. ability to create balanced relationships. So it starts to be this like cancer that festers into everything when you create so much resistance in one area. So it's not even just that singular relationship. It often can really like steep, you know, seep into other areas to the extent where it can be, that's the gridlock that can encourage another like massive upgrade, not even like a soft upgrade, like a huge, huge upgrade or huge awakening because your guys are like, you have to we have to get you out of this.
0: You gotta let go. Stuck place is purgatory.
1: You have to let yeah, go. Yeah, you gotta yeah. let go. Uh,
0: yeah. And to take this on a on a bit of a bigger spiritual lesson, um, which I know Mercy's gonna love this one because this is kind of where she and I live, at least uh, existence wise. You know, sometimes too, you won't understand why you did something that you did and why you invested so much time and energy into someone. Uh, until you go and look at past lives, because sometimes yeah. you are repaying something wonderful that somebody else did for you in a past life. So, for example, I have a friend who, um, essentially, like I had to put out all of the effort for for us to to connect. And it's not that our relationship isn't, um, you know, a, an equal give and take because it absolutely is. I, I dearly love this woman. She's like a sister to me, like really, truly. I, but I had to be the one to find her. I had to be the one to initiate a business uh, contract between the two of us in order for us to get to know each other well enough to have that connection. And I was like, man, why am I always the one who's got to put out so much damn energy? Like, <laughs> why am I always the driving force on everything? And they took me into a past life and showed me that I, she was my spiritual teacher in a, in a previous past life. And she took me under her wing. After I had done some pretty crazy shit, this was a a past life in Egypt that I had with her. Um, And I had been, well, I'll I'll just share the story because it's actually really interesting and I'm sure Marcy will get a kick out of this. (laughs) So in ancient Egypt, I uh, was part of a spiritual group. I'm just going to leave it at, at group basically. But I was a female who Uh, bound my breasts and pretended to be a boy because I wanted to be with the hierophants. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be with the masculine. That was, that was who had all the power. And I wanted to walk that path and uh, I fooled them up until obviously puberty hit and um, they couldn't hide that anymore. And so the, the head hierophant basically of, of this temple that I was in um, essentially said like, I know that you're a female. And punished me for it and then threw me in with the high priestess and all of the women. And I thought, oh great, here, here we go. Like I'm gonna go from being one of the most prized pupils down to like the scum of the earth because of what I did. Um, and I wasn't. She was very kind and very loving and took me under her wing and and really like was like, I understood why you did that, you know, like it's it's okay. Like you don't have anything to apologize for here. And took me under her wing. So that was why in this lifetime I had to go through a tremendous amount of effort to find her to cultivate that relationship because I owed her from a past life. I owed her for some beautiful thing that she had done for me. Um, And so feeling like, well, I need to get this, like this give back from it. You might've already gotten it in a past life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's a karmic exchange that until you do past life regression, it's difficult to understand. It is. It's brutal. It's, (laughs) And you're lucky to have, sometimes you don't get the linear understanding of like this person who's in your immediate energy. It Sometimes it's like six degrees of separation. So it's so much more complex because it's like, oh, you can't yeah. even point to an immediate relationship, sim, like exact same energy from a prior life. But I have had definitely instances like that where I've done past life regression and I've made the connection to current relationships, relationships where I felt I was reliving some type of intense, immense trauma. And, but it felt like the trauma was coming from like a place of being knowledgeable or aware that it was coming. Like I was prepared for this. It's almost like I was going into it with eyes wide open as opposed to eyes wide shut. And it's like, and, and I'm recalling the fact that this has happened before. This is an old cycle from a past life that I'm repeating. And I'm already, I knew this was, (laughs) I was prepared for this to happen in some senses, but it was like i was given enough of like my sense capabilities to be able to be just prepared enough so the point where it wouldn't be super turbulent but not to the extent where i wouldn't have to evolve and adapt based on that lesson right just enough so i would be able to take ownership of the actual solution to nullify that karma and release all like the karmic debt so mm-hmm. it's interesting sometimes when you get that immediate one to one it's miraculous and then in other cases you know, it's, there are, they're less like direct comparisons, but then when you break, it's like, you're, it's like a puzzle. It's like you, all of a sudden you have, it's like oh, the Akashic records. When you open up your Akashic records, there are so many treasures that can be found. And I would welcome those actually on, you know, anybody who's partaking in this podcast. I assuming most people are, I don't want to say spiritual wonks. I don't, again, language matters, but I feel like those who <laughs> are consuming this podcast are probably... In the spiritual arena, at least like you know, not necessarily super, super beginner, but maybe, and like starting off or intermediate on their journey, mm-hmm. I would welcome those who are you know consuming this podcast to better understand the Akashic Records of places in which you could start to map out your soul's journey, because it's such a pleasurable and sort of euphoric experience. Of course, there's there can be a lot of darkness and and discomfort as well, and sometimes answers that you don't want and an awareness of something that you know now is coming and, you know, that you have to prepare for things that can actually be um, pretty damaging, but there are a lot of beautiful explorations that can be done. And there are some ways to do it even outside of a spiritual practitioner. We talked about that today. People thinking they have to go to a Reiki healer energy healer to be able to get their chakras rebalanced. A lot of these things that you can do through self-study.
0: Absolutely. I am, I am completely one hundred percent a self study. No one has ever showed yeah. me how to do any of the things I can do. So if yeah. I can do it, you can do it. It just takes focus. It takes focus and yeah. having that drive to want to learn. Because yeah. if you do that, your guides will your your guides will be like, okay, she he or she's on this journey. Like I'm going to go provide them the knowledge that they need in the yeah. timing that they need it. Now, with that said, you know sometimes <laughs> sometimes that's a little a little frustrating, right? Because you won't know why certain things are happening and it takes a minute to figure out what it is. Like I started seeing purple flashes and I thought, what the hell is this? Right? Like I didn't realize that that was literally spirit, like giving me a visual doorbell of like, Hey, there's a a, a spirit here to talk to you. So for about six months, I was like, why am I seeing purple flashes? What the hell is this? (laughs) So there's some stuff that's like difficult on that, but there are tons of resources. You can use it. You can use your own internal compass too, because everybody's stuff works differently and you might be drawn to something totally different than what a spiritual practitioner you go to tells you to do. Like I do energy healing, but I don't do it like Reiki. It was one of the very first things that my guides taught me was how to heal people physically. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've had some really, really insane results. Like a friend of mine was in a coma. I went in and did healing. And then all of a sudden he was like out and tremendously better like the next day. So I've had enough of those happen where I know what I'm doing is effective. I've also had a couple of things happen recently where, again, it was proof that it was effective. But no one ever taught me how to do that. My guides did. Yeah. So I always tell people, if if you're really focused on spiritual gifts and whatever, focus on the healing aspect of it so that you can get in touch with your guides. Because your guides will teach you anything you want to learn.
1: Yeah. And don't be – I feel that – sometimes it goes back to like the messi messianic complex of like putting spiritual leaders or teachers or, you know, sages or, you know, monks on a pedestal. And I, I prefer this idea of a lack of hierarchy altogether. It also people fear like doing things wrong. Is there bad karma? Am I making mistakes? And it's like, well, the mistakes are part of the journey. Like even if you're doing something, yeah, try it and see and, and try to explore and see what feels right and be bold enough to take a chance or do something because it could get you where you need to go. I mean, earlier we had a conversation like maybe a, a little bit ago, several iterations ago. We we're talking about the idea of being polarizing or at least like authentically expressing who you are. Yeah, and that's the same thing on your spiritual journey. Like make it individual to you. Make it authentic to you and who you are and and you know, develop a protocol that works for you that feels right just because someone else is using crystals and white sage doesn't mean you have to use crystals and white sage. Find the tools, you know, the type of healing that you
0: might not even need tools. Yeah,
1: exactly. You might need nothing. You might simply need, you know, your own energy and just feeling Mm -hmm. like you're in a place in which you can have be free from distractions. You might need nothing. So um, you may not even need external teachers, but more just based on making it unique and individual to you. Don't fear persecution. Don't fear being othered. The whole purpose of the journey is for you to express yourself authentically as aligned with your soul's highest calling. So,
0: yes. And I will say so for me, because, you know, I, I have lived with the fear of failure all the way up until 2020. Like <laughs> that was that was my issue that I just kept like gnashing on. Right. I, and it was. It really what I what I found out it was, was it was a fear of investing time and energy into something that was a waste. Right. That That's always been my like, I just want to invest my energy wisely because for my entire life, I didn't do that. I invested in everybody and everything around me. Except for me, so I learned my lesson on that. But if you're worried about making mistakes, if you're worried about doing it wrong, go into it with a beginner's mind of I'm going to try this, and if I do it wrong, then I do it wrong and it fails, and I don't get any proof that it worked, and so then I try something else. You know, it, it yeah. that discovery is is a really fun part of the path. And if you are constantly going to teachers, other teachers to teach you how to do things, you kind of miss out on that. You miss out on that like eureka moment, you know, then maybe that's just me because I come from a science background and I love that kind of stuff. But yeah. I love that eureka moment, that moment of like, oh, my God, I did it. And it worked like, holy shit, this is real. Versus if you go to a practitioner and they teach you, well, this is my way of doing mediumship or whatever. Yeah. You're kind of pigeonholed into the way that they do things and the way that you work. That might not be the best way. And then because you've been taught that, it's very hard to unlearn those things. So I'm more of a proponent of the self-study, which is why I am doing this podcast, because essentially this podcast is for people who are self-studying how to heal themselves, right? Like you're learning from other people's stuff and having aha moments when you're listening to this, which, by the way, a few of you have reached out to me. Thank you so much. That totally made my week. I told you this individually, but I love those emails. They make me super happy when you're like, I had a breakthrough. I'm like, yes, this has a purpose. So thank you for that. But. If you do want to go to a practitioner, like that's why I have Mercy coming on here. Like Mercy will teach you how to do things. Uh, there's an Akashic Records uh teacher that I know of that is legit. You know, there are people that teach astrology like but my path was definitely the self-taught path. I I learned from my guides. I don't use crystals. I don't use really anything. I use like tarot cards or Oracle decks as um, a confirmation, basically. But and in the beginning, I used a pendulum, but I found that to be actually like less reliable than just my clear audience at that point. You don't have to. There's no prescription on this path. All paths are different. All of them are equally beautiful. Find your own way that works the best for you. And don't be afraid to don't be afraid to vomit like okay so you try to reach out to your guides and you got absolute dead ass silence like that's fine that's totally fine try again though because you know what you might find that like two or three times down the whatever your energy is in the right place to connect with them you just have to have a willingness to learn and explore and go on a spiritual adventure for me those have been the most beautiful moments of when i'm like well, screw it i'll just try this and then i'm like oh my god that actually worked (sighs) you know like (laughs) and there's
1: so there's so many sub schools of thought and, um, like conceptualist theorists, astrophysicists. You know, different leaders in in spaces that are at least adjunct to spirituality who have come in and said, "Okay, this is going to be the future." Like, um, yeah. I was reading about mesmerism and the idea of animal magnetism and this idea that we have this magnetic fluid flowing through our body, yeah. and I find this concept so fascinating, but what was interesting is that this concept was widely disproved. And that being said, like the founder of Mesmerism still, regardless of the fact that the government basically staged a coup and, and went out to scientifically disprove his, you know, what he truly believed to be empirically true. He still to, to his passing was an advocate of Mesmerism and and was steadfast, despite the fact that they had sought out to disprove it empirically. And so Point of this is there are some things that you will only be able to prove on an individual level because they work for you uniquely. Yep. And
0: 1000%. yes. If you
1: seek it out from other people and you, and or you need some type of data point, um, you may be disappointed, but if you're working with your own energy and you're very connected to, um, both your physical body and your nervous system and how you're feeling in terms of regulation or deregulation, and then your spiritual like alignment and ensuring that your energy feels like it's flowing freely and that you feel very connected to your guides. If those two areas are forming that said symphony and you feel like you are on the right path and you're making decisions that align with your highest self, then you're on the right path and, and, you know, feel comfortable. Yes. Trying new things, expanding. And I know just saying, don't fear failure sounds too easy, but I truly don't believe if you're making an active choice, you're failing. I don't. I feel like if you're making an active choice, there's no, for me, there's no opportunity to fail because it's a decision being made of your highest self. As long as you're connected to your highest self and you're making said decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the other like kind of benchmark that I I think is fairly universal is, is my life improving by doing this? If the answer is yes, Mm -hmm. then keep doing it. If the answer is no, then stop doing it. Okay. because again, and I'm going to go back to the drugs thing, but, you know, I, I've known a lot of people that have definitely gone on the side jaunt of psychedelics and being like, this is, this is my path to enlightenment. And I'm like, all right, have fun with that. And then like a few months later they message me or call me or whatever. And they're like, oh my God, I've hit a wall. I'm just miserable. And uh. And I'm like, yeah, because you just invested all of your time and energy into something that wasn't, wasn't actually improving your life. Like, If you stop doing something and how do I explain this? If you have a practice, regardless if it's drugs or meditation or whatever it is, if you stop doing it and you're not still improving, it probably wasn't very indicative of your growth to begin with. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, if you've made real change, you stopping doing something isn't going to like tremendously change your, your entire perspective. Now, meditation, if you stop doing meditation and then your energy feels all whack and you're like, oh my God, my brain's whirring a million miles a minute, that means that your body's not regulated, right? And so you need to go back and meditate. But if yeah. you're like doing spell work all the time, essentially, because I'm, I'm just going to put it that way. If you're doing spell work all the time, and nothing good is happening in your life like that's probably not somewhere you need to be investing your energy yeah invest your energy into things that make your life better that make you happier that make your life more peaceful that bring you knowledge you know it, for me my path is definitely one of knowledge like I, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that's why odin was the first uh spirit to come talk to me is he's the god of knowledge and new i'm like a rabbit hole person once mm-hmm. i get like a little hint of like, ooh, there's knowledge down that hole. I will go down it until I hit the bottom, right? So if you're one of those knowledge people, invest your time and energy into knowledge. You can read yeah. all of the books in the world. You can read all this stuff. You can kind of understand it. And then you can go form your own formulation of how to practice it in your world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and approach it in a way that's unique to you, to your point. Like you said, I'm a knowledge person. So figure out what your entryway yeah. point is and how you can Best make your journey work for
0: you, essentially, as mentioned. Yeah, because some people are all about like they just want to live from their heart space and feel nothing but love. Yeah. And for those people, (laughs) the knowledge journey is probably not for you, right? Like you're probably going to need to go go work with animals and go spend a lot of time in nature and go, you know, work on healing yourself and putting love out into the world. And it's not that I don't do that. I do. I, I put a ton of love out into the world every single day. Um, obviously, I'm on this podcast with Mercy, who is like one of the most loving people I've ever known. But (laughs) there is going to be a driving factor behind why you want to go on the spiritual journey. For me, it was finding out the truth of why I'm here, it was finding out the truth of existence, right? So that's what drove me on my path. Other people will have different motivations. And so figure out what works with your motivation, to Mercy's point. Because if your motivation is, um, to make money, like off of this, your path is going to look very different than mine. It's going to look very different than mercy's. It's going to look very different than someone who just wants to live in their heart space and just be, you know, puppies and kittens and sunshine. Cause that is a, that is a path that's available. You totally can live just a nothing but joyous life if you want to.
1: Yeah. And I think it, I think it comes down to intentionality and there are a few things that I do still like carry over from my old worlds. And one of them is like this idea of having a manifesto and like taking time to like consciously cultivate said manifesto. Like, what do you stand for? Like, what do you believe in? Yeah. Um. And how, you know, would you like to intentionally exist within this timeline essentially and really putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is, this is my purpose. This is how I want to live. This is how I want to exist. That comes at the end. The manifesto comes at the end of the entire, like a large exploration of self to the extent where you yeah. can even create something succinct. It's difficult yeah. to do that <laughs> from a place of zero or nothingness. Like you have to have done a lot
0: of work to it's even- It's kind of impossible. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of impossible on the front end because you you like don't even know yourself well enough to know what you want, you know? <laughs> no, no. It comes It comes after a lot of- labors of love that we go through and
1: experience in order to better understand ourselves in order to identify blockages and ego and strip down the layers and strip down again and like vulnerability to the extent where we're essentially stripped bare to our purest self and then at that point when we're truly connected and then feeling confident enough to express our place from that truest version of self which is another barrier and and test we then gain an ability to fluidly express that version of self. And then that's when we can sort of pen that to paper. It's like, okay, this is who I am. This is where I belong. This is what I'm meant to do. So I think that's a good exercise. Once you're intermediate or further on your journey is to say, okay, now I want to live with intentionality. What's truly important to me? Like, how can I be purpose-led now that I have these tools, this wisdom that I've gained about myself? Because that truly is a, a,
0: a powerful gift powerful gift yeah and you might find that the universe doesn't give a shit about your manifesto and wants you to go do something that you weren't really prepared for (laughs) that's true that is true (laughs) some souls i'm i'm gonna be real honest and a lot of everything that we're saying don't take it as gospel okay so that's the other thing i just have to put out there i know that mercy will agree on this We can tell you all of our learnings and all of our experiences and things that we've observed from other people, but there are so many different paths and so many different expressions of self and so many different reasons that we come down here that like not everything we say is going to resonate with you because it's literally impossible. There are as many paths in this world as there are people and our purposes for coming down here may be completely different. They might be the same. They might be something that you can't even fathom. One thing I will tell you, though, is the further you get down your path, and especially the sense of self-path and the understanding how all this works, the more that even people's insane stuff, like stuff that previously you would have gone like, okay, crazy, you'll now like look at and be like, oh, yeah, wow, your existence here is a really colorful one or whatever, because you'll just be like, that's totally their path. Like, yeah. I had a discussion with a woman this week about... um aliens blowing up underground bases. And that's why there was a lot of rage in, in the energy this week and how there's like a, um, hyper loop underneath, you know, that goes from Los Angeles to New York. And it, if this woman had talked to me, like, even like a year ago, I would have been like, oh, okay. Like, wow. <laughs> like I wouldn't have taken her seriously. Right. Because At that point, I still saw reality as like this indisputable truth. But the thing is, is that this when I say the kaleidoscope clicks and every time it clicks, it looks a little different. Her kaleidoscope clicked to the alien stuff, and that's the reality that she's seeing. And everything that she told me very well could be true. I don't know. Like, I don't know if there's a hyperloop underneath the, you know, the United States. There very well could be there could be underground alien bases. I don't know. But you, you'll you approach it more with an open, like a open mind of like, this is the way that creation is communicating to her. This is the system in which it's communicating to her. The same way that like those energies show up as God energies for me and they show up as archetypes for uh, mercy and they show up as uh, starseed stuff to other people. And, you know, there there's so many different ways for this to get communicated to you that like there is no like. It, it's all, it's, how do I put this? It's all simultaneously real and not real all at the same time. Yeah. And I know that that sounds like a really ridiculous paradox, but at least from my perspective, that's from where the kaleidoscope is for me this week. That's how kind of how I see things is that the expression from creation to our brains is so different for each and every person that your experience might be so different from everyone else around you, but it doesn't mean it's not real. And it doesn't mean that it's not beautiful. And it doesn't mean that it isn't uniquely yours. So don't feel alone if you, if you have one of those things.
1: I was just going to add to that and say that your truth does not require external validation or approval in order to, to exist or to be valid. percent. So perception being your truth, you know, that's what prevents those who are maybe in unhappy relationships or in unhappy jobs or horrible friendships or whatever the case, it's keeping them stuck in this old version of self, preventing themselves from freeing themselves is that they believe that their truth is not valid. As soon as it's expressed outside and within oxygen, it's almost like it can't survive because right. the their locus of control extends outside of themselves and they believe that other people's perspectives are the only standard or, or can be the only truth and they can be easily swayed. I would encourage those who are listening to just really ensure that, you know, you value your truth to the extent where you don't require that validation or approval. And also know that if you are receiving those messages, those mages- messages exist for a reason. So maybe yes. again, it is a hyperloop. Perhaps it's an allegory or metaphor for something beyond right. that. But regardless, it's a truth that's being experienced by that individual. And, try mm-hmm. not to dispel or reduce those downloads as they, they, there is fruitfulness in what's being relayed regardless in like the style of message. Again, to Emory's early point, sometimes it's different languages. Sometimes it's yep. cryptic Morse code. I mean, you're receiving all different types of inputs. So, you know, what I try to practice and also encourage others to do so is just not being self-critical and just being compassionate and accepting your truth as your truth and accepting your purpose again, back to the purpose as your purpose, whether or not your guides agree with your purpose in that moment, <laughs> but <laughs> just knowing that it's not up to anybody else, um, when it comes to your truth, like that's something that you do wholeheartedly own with integrity and that integrity is yours as well to own. So I think that's a powerful, uh, statement and also one that can help you. Govern your life in a way that gives you some comfort because you're not always seeking beyond or
0: outside. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, there's a little bit of a caveat on that that I want to address, which is spiritual psychosis, because that is a real thing where people will go way far off the deep end. Yeah. And that's why I'm actually such a huge proponent of asking for proof from your guides, from the universe, from whatever. Because once you get that proof, you're like, all right, this is the truth. Like, I've seen it. I've gotten proof of it. I've gotten validation from my guides, from my energy, from my perspective, whatever, that that's true. Where you get into trouble is when you're not regulated. You're you're not in a place where you're healed enough to be able to, like, really access this stuff from a place of groundedness and knowing. And so you kind of get shot into space and you see all this weird shit and, like, all of these weird things. And so you might come back going like I'm the incarnation of these five different deities. And I'm also, um, in a past life, I'm all of these Kings and Queens that existed and all of these, like, you know, just a bunch of stuff that if you looked at it from a logical perspective, you'd be like, okay, but do I have any proof of that? Do I have (laughs) any proof of that? What are the odds that I would be like, seven of the world's most important historical figures and five different gods in one body. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but the odds of that are pretty fucking slim to none, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and and just to be honest with you, at least from like a past life re- regression thing, because I've been through a lot of my past lives, very few of them are like fun. I'm not, I'm not even going to say fun. Not Very few of them are like glamorous. Even the ones where I had a lot of money, like I was going through some shit, guys, some really, really dark shit. So you like
1: Cleopatra in all your past lives.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Why is that everyone's go to? It's so uh,
1: it weird. Is. There's a certain tropes that are like the the pejorative, but I will say this.
0: But I'm sure that there is. I'm sure there are some people that actually were like Cleopatra, Cleopatra in a past life. But it, it does seem to be like everyone's like I was Cleopatra. I was King Tut. I was this emperor, I was this ruler. I was, it, it's always, yeah. no dude, you were probably a peasant shoveling shit somewhere who died by being beheaded by the warrior tribe that came in and like took over the village. Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. Like the odds of you being one at one of those, let alone like 20 of them are astronomically low. Yeah. Statistically very low. I mean, if I, if I hadn't done the ego work I would have
1: done, I could maybe relay or express some, something, you know, in the, shade of envy because there was a spiritualist who was saying her past life was Harriet Tubman. I was like, oh, that would be amazing. But I mean <laughs> I've done enough i I've done enough ego work to not um envy or or covet others for any reason or purpose. But back to the spiritual psychosis, this is an interesting phenomenon because for me there's a larger question around mental health and well-being first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. Going into um, sometimes when I will have even people seeking on my services, I have had to turn away clients that could be better served through more traditional medicine or whether yep. that's through taking through medication or therapy because they are, you know, someone who's schizophrenic or someone who has borderline personality disorder, whichever, you know, undiagnosed mental disorder, or mental health challenge they may be facing. That's, that's not somebody who needs a spiritual coach or teacher. No. They need to be given the appropriate structures, the research techniques and protocols that can best support them. And that's where I think we get some of these cases of spiritual psychosis where someone who is maybe going through some type of mental health incident or some type of undiagnosed mental health challenge, yeah. they they feel that this might be a solution going into the spiritual world um because there are some answers maybe that they can find through spirituality, but then again there's a susceptibility towards Taking something beyond, or again, not having maybe those checks and balances that would be that would be had if somebody wasn't coming from the same place neurologically. The other piece of it too is um,
0: I find spiritual well, and their nervous systems are like completely yeah. dysregulated, right? Because that's, that's part of what, yeah. So like that's why I'm saying like all of these things go part and parcel, guys. Like you can't do like a little bit of it. Like you can't just be like I'm going to go be a psychic medium. Like you got to do the healing work on the front end. That is fundamentally. Yeah that is the one thing i am going to be I, I guess like combative about in all honesty anybody who tells you that you can just go off on a spiritual path and like not work on yourself fuck that that person has does, is not on a spiritual path yeah you have to master oneself first and foremost the rest yeah. of the powers and everything else when they say power corrupts what they're really saying is power corrupts the ego okay like it's yes. the ego that gets corrupted so until you have a good handle on your ego Do not go chasing psychic gifts, please, for the love of God. I cannot, I can't stress that enough because every (laughs) single person I have dealt with who has come to me being like, teach me how to use my spiritual gifts. And I've kind of tried to help them has been a monster on the back end. Okay. Yeah. Do the work on yourself and the other stuff will come in as it's supposed to, when you're supposed to be able to touch those things.
1: Well, a hundred percent. I think that's what I was going to actually add. Um, next and layer on to the original conversation of spiritual psychosis, if you have already gone through the process to do ego work, you're probably not going to assume the past lives of all of these like designated <laughs> yes. like monarchs, right? If you've right. done and then furthermore, you're probably not gonna both ex- assume those past lives and then utilize that to position yourself with authority. Again, like you know, pointing back to a lack of ego work, like relating to the fact that someone even be have that inclination or desire towards assuming power, um, based on that awareness. So I think that the baseline to this is the, is that fundamental mastery of self. I think that's an appropriate way to describe it and freeing yourself from those blockages, um, before you even begin some of the higher level uh, aspects, um, some of the more like, and then of course before you start working with people because if you are working with people one to one there is there's an integrity in that sort of client service relationship um however you want to deem the dynamic or what however you want to classify whether it's a querent or client but someone who's coming to you for spiritual work and i think we've talked about this before you know mm-hmm. you have to be in a place in which you are solvent because if not you are just directly um putting them at risk or and sharing yeah you know some of those heavier energies for them to absorb
0: in a very vulnerable capacity not only that but like if you share knowledge with someone before they're ready and they're seeking that kind of power it can actually like spiritually kind of burn them and yeah. and I didn't understand this in the beginning of my journey and I I honestly this is like one of the one of the things that like I'm like oh man I wish I could go back and change that even though I'm sure I had a I Not even I'm sure it had a purpose, but Mm -hmm. you know, I had shared some of the spiritual stuff that I had experienced with someone who I thought was much further along down their path than they actually were because they were telling me one thing, but doing another. And I wasn't energetically aware enough to go, no, this person's not at all where they say they are. So I shared these very like high level concepts with this person. And then they immediately started getting fixated on developing the abilities and experiences i was having when really they really needed to focus on healing themselves and so i'm not going to say people should gatekeep information but there is a time and a place to express this to people when they're in a place where it's going to be helpful for them rather than totally knock them off of their path and get them fixated on something that really they shouldn't be working on because this yep. specific person did a lot of damage to me because of this like it awakened some stuff in in this person with the use of drugs and then they came after me on a spiritual warfare type of tangent which does not work for me at all like (laughs) those of you listening do not come at me spiritually just trust me on that like you'll get stomped my guides are like i am so crazily protected it's not even funny (laughs) that is a real thing though and so when you start sharing stuff with people it can corrupt them they if they're in a really dark place actually they can turn it into like weaponry basically. And yeah. I'm I'm not saying that to scare people, but there are people that will put curses on people. There are people that will pray for your downfall. There are people that will go after you because of the gifts that you've developed. And it might be from a religious standpoint. It might be from an envy standpoint. It might just be from a whatever astral energy attached to them standpoint. There's just a lot of layers to all of this and not all of it is puppies and kittens and sunshine. So understanding yeah. that, That's why I'm so ridiculous about like, work on yourself, work on yourself, work on yourself. Don't chase the abilities. Don't chase the power. The powers are a distraction. Don't go after them. Because it just, again, you're like a toddler with a bazooka. Okay. And no one in this reality is going to give a toddler a bazooka. That is a bad idea. Across the board, that's a bad idea. So to Mercy's point, the mastery of self, the understanding where you're at, understanding that if you're mentally stable enough to be doing this or not, like I've I've definitely had people come to me being like, how do I develop these gifts when I'm like, wow, you are like super mentally ill and you need to get a hold on your depression. Yeah. Developing these gifts when you have depression is going to do some really dark stuff that you're not going to be ready for because you're in such a low vibration that those are the energies you're tapping into. Yeah. You're not going to tap into this beautiful, high powered, light energy when you're in the depths of hell because A, you're incompatible and B, that high level energy will burn you. Yeah. And when I say it will burn you, it's going to zap your energy. It's going to cut off any ability for you to be able to get in touch with those energies again. Like there's, there's a lot of nuance to this. And there's a lot of nuance that a lot of spiritual teachers don't talk about because either they just haven't had access to that knowledge.
1: Yeah.
0: Or like in my experience, I experienced it. Like I got burned by a deity that i connected with early, very early on right because i wasn't aware that that was a thing that could happen and it stunted me and it made me question everything so there there's just there's a lot of reasons to work on yourself really do the ego work so that when you start getting tempted to be like i'm going to go learn how to do whatever because this person pissed me off you're like that is my ego oh my god i have a vengeance issue like yeah. i need to work on that rather than giving into it because it feels good in the moment that's another that's another like
1: very important probably deserves its own podcast topic is the idea of vengeance and, and betrayal and you're
0: like, only hurting yourself. Yeah.
1: Honestly, it's like
0: the you're only hurting yourself truly.
1: And I feel, I feel lucky in some ways. And I know it's partially, it's the effort that, that I've made on my journey into ego work, but I, just, there's just zero percent, even again, the few moments where I'm connected to my human form, if I, there's like road rage, which I'm not even a road rager, but I do get my only frustration is occasional moments where I'm like, why did that person make that decision? But I <laughs> yeah, never feel dumb. inclined towards like, yeah, I was like, that didn't, that didn't really make any sense, but I never feel inclined to really truly lash out because I, because I understand, again, all I'm doing is dysregulating. All I'm doing is, is creating my own negative karma in return. Yeah. And I also recognize the value of that utility and the quotient of energy to be devoted to something that actually has, like, again, a benefit. So it's also about vengeance. What's the purpose of that vengeance?
0: Yeah. But like when that anger comes up, rather than like being like, I'm going to get revenge, like take that energy that you would have taken to get revenge and turn it in on yourself and go, why am I getting so angry about this? Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a way to aim your energy to where it's beneficial and not detrimental. But I'm with you I've never I've actually never really been a vengeful person in all honesty. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple times where like people have pushed me so far past the my limit that I've snapped on them and told them everything that I think about them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nick calls it my my brutal honesty nuclear bomb, right? And I've gotten like the last time I did that was back in 2020. I, I've gotten so much better about doing that because ju- why well, I just don't do it anymore because I see, ooh, that's triggering me this is something in me that I need to work on because if I was really solid, none of this would be rocking my boat. Right. Like once you get super solid in yourself, other people's stuff just becomes like, Oh, well, that's people peopling. Like that's silly. And wow. I really hope that person works on themselves because you, you know, it's that kind of energy rather than like you take it personally.
1: Yeah. That's what comes up for me. That's what usually I do is I point it. Somehow I'm always like, there's a genesis within me somewhere. This is some type of, and, or what can I do to, to utilize this for personal growth to some capacity? It's it's to the point now where it doesn't phase me. And I understand that people want other people to like, I'll get questions sometimes. How can I get karma or how can this person get their karma? Will they get their karma? Yes. And like, just assume the answer is always yes, (laughs) but like, don't feel that you are personally responsible for exacting any, karmic law like you are not you're not a karmic god none of us are Mm -mm. a karmic god and that's the principles of karma exist based on equanimity and understanding that again you're not the one who will exact said response result outcome and that's actually very freeing Um, and both freeing and 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 joyous because who would want that responsibility who would want to go around you know, getting revenge on people. I mean, that would be a horrible existence if that was the existence to to lead. So feel um, a sense of gratitude around that.
0: Yeah. But if you're in a low enough frequency where you're like, are they going to get their karma? I hope they get their karma. Like you are sending negative energy to that person that's going to come right back to you because what you send out into the universe yeah. comes back to you. So yeah. if, if you cannot control yourself and you're in that headspace, I have a gift for you. Instead yeah. of saying, I hope they get their karma. I hope they suffer like I suffered. I hope, blah, 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 blah. Say, I really hope that they heal. Okay. Yeah. Because ultimately, that is actually what you're asking for. I always tell people that, like, people that I've cut out of my life or that I've let go of or people that I don't really like, I never have this, like, oh, I hope they get theirs. I'm always like, I hope they grow into a person that I once again like. <laughs> That's my hope. Yeah. I hope that they heal yeah. themselves enough to where I'm like, that thing that attracted to me to you in the beginning is now back to where you're at. Like that has yeah. fully integrated as part of you. And you've done enough work on yourself that I want to be around you again. And if they don't, yeah. that's fine. They just aren't allowed in my world. You know, yeah. not being compatible with people shouldn't be this. Like Gonson McGilla. like, oh, I hate that person. I'm cutting them off. Like, it doesn't have to be that way you just go like, well, I'm oil, that person's water. There's no surfactant to mix us in the middle. So it just needs to go, you know, (laughs) we just need to go our own separate ways.
1: Even beyond that, though, I, I hundred percent on like parallel to that, but even beyond that, they, I, I hope they heal and evolve to wherever they're meant to end up, regardless agnostic of like, whether or not that means we reconnect or connect for me, it's like, that sense of loving detachment and freeing yourself from other people's actions behaviors is like the first principle of getting back into a place where you can start to feel that sense of internal regulation yep. and you know maybe they maybe they do heal and that means they they evolve even beyond you and but that's their highest good yep. or maybe they do, and it still means they're in another existence and yeah, there's something freeing and about just trusting the universe and saying the universe you know. Our guides, our collective guides, that person's individual guides, they will support them in ensuring yeah. that they get to where they need to be. Or, But if they don't do the work or if they don't invest themselves in it, they will be and stagnant. That's but that's their path.
0: Yeah. yeah. So a little context to that. When I say I hope you grow to a point where I like you again, it just means where you grow into a person that's not damaging to people around you. Because my bar Correct. for liking yes. people is actually pretty low, you guys. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> It's just that most people are very damaging to the people around them rather than looking at themselves and going, am I the problem? It's me. You know, like I love that Taylor Swift song because I think it actually did trigger a lot of aha moments for people where they realize like, I am the problem. It's me. I am a covert narcissist. Like Mm -hmm. I actually am the person who is the problem in this. And not a lot of people do that. Right. And and I'm going to be honest from my viewpoint. I've done that in my entire life. I I have constantly been like, am I the problem? Is it me? No matter what, no matter what the exchange is, that has always been my first go to from the time I was a child. That is literally like hardcore ingrained in me. It's like part of my coding is just to immediately be like, am I the problem? Which is everybody's like, man, you're so quick to apologize to people. And I'm like, yeah, because I fucked up. Like people make mistakes. It's okay. to It's okay to say that. It's okay to be yeah. human. You know, like none of us, because we're so different as humans that you could do something damaging to someone else that you don't even realize is damaging because to you, it's not. You know, to you, it's like it's a Tuesday afternoon. And it's just that they have a proclivity to being damaged by whatever that thing is. You might not damage anybody else in the world with that, but that person. So if that person yeah. comes to you and says, You damaged me, own it, own it and say, Oh, man. That was totally not my intention. That's just something I always do. And I feel horrible that I hurt you. I'm really sorry about mm-hmm. that. And then if yeah. you can change that, say, I won't do that again. But if that's like a core part of your personality that you know is not going to change, that's the time to have a conversation with them of, oh, man, I'm so, ho- I'm so sorry that I hurt you. That was totally unintentional. But I also know that this is a part of me that I know is not going to change. So either we need to like change the dynamic between the two of us or we need to go our own separate directions. That's OK, yeah. too.
1: Yeah. No, but I mean, relationships are, relationships are not always meant to be in our life for an entire journey. We've talked about this before. Sometimes it's yeah. a season, sometimes it's a moment. There's a multitude of purposes. There's a lot of complexity. It's not this single dimensional permanent, you know, soulmate friendship, soulmate relationship. And to the extent where it holds you in like, confinement Shackles. and contempt yeah. where you have no choice or escape from said relationship in said form. It's also very limited to say yes. we must be friends forever, which leads no room or flexibility for personal autonomy or growth or expansion. Right. So the fluid expression of two souls and whoever that is manifested or you know, that's something beautiful and, and we shouldn't try not to constrain that if we can. Um I, I think it's important, like you said, to value other people's perception. I, I honor that statement as well. Cause if someone comes to you and it, sometimes it takes a lot for someone to even confront that something Big time. has been difficult for them to experience. So even just honoring their vulnerability in that moment is yeah. for me, extremely
0: important. And yeah, like, thank you for coming to me with that. Even if internally yeah. your ego is like, what the fuck? You know, I like, just don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah. Work that shit out at home. But be kind to people because one of the reasons our society is as dysfunctional as it is, is because people don't own up to their actions. Whether it was intentional or not, owning up to it, it helps so much because you might be talking to that person's inner child who every time they told anybody in their family, you hurt me, they were shut down, they were gaslit, they were like, whatever. And so they finally got the courage to come up and say that to somebody else. Your response of wow, I'm really sorry that that hurt you. That was totally unintentional. Like, I I really like, I hate that I hurt you. That might be the one time in their entire life that it takes for them to be like, I can speak my truth. You might be a force of so much good in their life, even if the end result is, yeah, but I'm not going to change that about myself. So like, I hope you have a wonderful life. I hold no whatever. We're just not compatible.
1: Yeah, But at least you're a catalyst for some type of major healing epiphany. I feel like that's it. that's so important is just allowing people to feel seen. They say that like the largest, the number one emotion that contributes towards like, you know, detriment on a personal level and a soul level is really shame. So shame for me is something that's always related towards at some type of original point of being oppressed or, you know, not feeling supported or nurtured. So in that moment, recognizing and seeing someone for who they are and their most, and their point of vulnerability is important. I also think just meeting people eye to eye where they are yeah. is incredibly important. I mean, I go out of my way and this sounds like a small uh, detail. And I, go, and again, this is something that I've always done. My entire existence was everywhere I am. If I feel someone's inclined towards conversation, of course, I'm not going to go and just talk to every person that's like literally within right. earshot <laughs> because that is a lot for anyone. But if I feel like, I can always sense when someone desires to be heard. I can always sense that in the energy. And I can always mm-hmm. sense where someone feels like a little bit underrepresented for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They haven't been given a fair shot. And, you know, I go to my way to create moments and interactions. Like when a couple of days ago, it was at the grocery store and going through the checkout and this woman, Brenda, her name Brenda, Brenda was Brenda. Brenda's sweetheart, but she was talking, we were just having like pleasant conversation. But I could tell she wanted to go deeper. And by the end of it, we're like, basically, you know, not exchanging like personal information, but she's telling me her life and her rent and how she's economically (laughs) is in a tough time and how, you know, her mother never really thought she would be much growing up, but she really feels proud of where she is now. And she loves customer service. She loves talking to people and she feels really proud of the work she's doing, even if it's not like some big title and like people, the line is getting longer and longer, people getting more and more upset. (laughs) And I'm just sitting here going, you know what people just, let this absorb this right because she needs this when someone speaks this fluidly and they're like savoring this moment to just have this moment of human connection where someone's seeing eye to eye and listening to their story like they need this like allow this this exchange to happen and those are little micro moments but i i feel like sometimes those are even more proud than when i get these like huge testimonial emails from clients because this is an interaction that's not like I don't want to say not forced, but again, it, there's it's it's much more serendipitous it's to have these yeah. moments of like soul kismet when you connect with somebody and you're like, okay, this moment was meant to happen. This beautiful divine creature, Brenda, who I'll never forget for the rest of my existence. And then this other woman, Bonnie, two bees right beside her, starts talking about her <laughs> life. And then we've got this full conversation. At the end, Bonnie and Brenda were like, thank you so much, Mercedes. It's been a wonderful time. And we just really enjoyed meeting you. And there, it was like we were old friends within this like two minute, you know, this hundred and twenty second period of like basically our souls re-meeting each other. And those are the moments that I like treasure and value and just like revel and always look back to and remember really fondly. So I think if we can have more of those moments, seeing eye to eye with, you know, our our soul family, because everyone can be a member of your soul family, of course, you know, Earlier, we talked about discernment. That's a factor. But oh yeah, discernment's a big one. Having those beautiful connections are really, for me, important. These serendipitous connections and seeing people and allowing them to have that space to just maybe express something that they've been harboring or just to like appreciate the humanity in our, you know, fellow, fellow people, fellow souls.
0: Yeah. Or just to be the person that like when there's a group of people and someone's talking and then someone talks over the top of them and the subject completely changes and the other person hasn't finished their story yet be the person that turns to that person and goes, what were you saying? Like small things like that means so much to people, you guys, especially introverts. Like Mm -hmm. for me, I'm, I'm like an ambivert, right? Like I'm extroverted because I can talk to a wall. Um, but, (laughs) but it's also draining for me, but for introverts, sometimes it's really hard, especially in a group setting to actually get up the nerve to cut into a conversation, to express something. And so when they're cut off and then everyone diverts the attention to an extrovert and the introverts just kind of sitting there like, well, I guess nobody wanted to hear my story. And sometimes that's devastating. Sometimes it's reliving a cycle over and over and over again that they've been in their entire life. And sometimes all it takes is one person to turn their head at the table and go, anyway, what were you saying? I'm listening. You know, yeah. it's just honoring the people around you. And and like Mercedes said, like Mercedes, it feels so weird to call you that because I've just known you as Mercy. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I've been Mercy since i <laughs> I've been Mercy since I was a kid, so I always get called Mercy. But sometimes, if people meet me in like a formal setting, we'll use yeah. My
0: phone, but yeah I've been Mercy. I said that out loud, and I was like, that felt weird. Anyway, so it's too many syllables. It's too many syllables. <laughs> Mercedes, anyway. Um Mercedes. I know, and people
1: don't pronounce it correctly, anyways, which is again another reason why it got shortened because I was sick of saying. People go Mercedes. And me go Mercedes. Like I was like Antonio yeah. Banderas. So I've just, I've just released it all together and just moved forward with this name that for me feels much more soulful. So the the patron patron saint of Mercedes, which is Guadalupe, which is like all my spiritual all my spiritual altar, she is um that's my namesake and she is connected to she's also known as patron saint of mercy. So I love that. I still
0: love our mercy condition. (laughs) Yeah, literally when I found out the heir's name meant Norse Mercy, I was like, get the fuck out. Like what are the odds of that? And then I connect with this woman named Mercy, and she's like my long lost soul sister. Anyway, <laughs> and they're like, um, "Your soul family's coming. Your soul family's coming." Yeah, they really were. They, I was, they were loud about it. And I was like, "Whatever," but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but to to your point, connecting with people sometimes in situations that you normally wouldn't make like a cognizant effort to do so. Sometimes those are the moments where like you get to be the angel on earth without even really trying. Yeah. You know, because sometimes it it really does just take that one interaction for them to be like, oh, wow, I'm not invisible. Like the world doesn't hate me or whatever it is. You know, I Mm -hmm. and I've had some really weird moments like that, to your point. Mine are usually with um, people who are who are close to rock bottom or are in rock bottom because that's just who I've been my entire life. (laughs) Those people flock to me in public. Um but I had a a weird experience on a train in Atlanta actually where I was coming back from a, a a business trip so I was like in a suit literally um and some kid came and sat next to me on the train and he was like out of his mind on some drug like I don't know what he was on but whatever it was it was some good shit cuz he was wild on the train <laughs> and his dad was sitting next to me and his dad was frustrated and embarrassed and I could just feel it kind of coming off of him and I kind of wanted to to diffuse it even though, honestly I was exhausted I had just like done a six hour flight or whatever and I was like oh my god like I have no energy to deal with this but I could tell this dad needed it and I could tell the kid needed it I say kid but he was like he's a teenager <laughs> so I was totally accepting of his crazy behavior and I sat and talked with him and he was like yeah we're we're taking him to rehab because like there's just you know obviously and I was like, oh, I'm like, I I know a few friends that went to rehab and came out and they're like much happier people. And I really hope that, you know, your, your stay in rehab is really fruitful and helpful for you. And, and I engaged this totally drugged up teenager on a very deep level where he started (laughs) telling me about his friends dying from overdoses and like just this whole traumatic drama dump that he was having while he was on drugs. And I'll tell you what, when I got off the train, he went to the window on the train and put his hand up against it, like somebody in prison, basically. <laughs> and I put my hand on the train back onto him and I looked at his dad and winked at him and like, kind of like gave him a little pat on the heart of like, be nice to your son. Like he's going through some shit, obviously. And I, I could kind of see it in the dad's eyes of like, yeah. oh man, this is why my son's on drugs. Like he's actually had a really hard life. Like it didn't, Yeah, I don't think it had even clicked with him until that point. He was just frustrated with him. So sometimes connecting on that level can be really great. Sometimes yeah. though, and maybe Mercy has a different experience than I do. Sometimes it is hella draining and you just got to be like, I can't do this right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. You got to pick it. Cause sense. I've definitely had those moments. Yeah. It's that discernment. You can't be like
1: at Emory school for souls. Like you can't be perpetually available 24, 7, 365. Like you have to have limitations. They're you have to have hard. boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> I found Now, interesting, you bring up someone in active addiction. That's another area where I feel like I've attracted a lot of souls who are in that space in active addiction because I have had a past life in which I was in active addiction and um, going through essentially recovery and relapse and recovery and relapse to the extent where I became some type of teacher or counselor. And in this lifetime, I have attracted, I cannot even count like family members, relationships, friends who are at the darkest point of active addiction. And I feel like I come with a a unique perspective because many people are very reductive to those who are in those circumstances. And well, I'll often communicate. I'm like, do you, I'll ask people questions when, when I hear like judgmental or like castigating language around people who are in active addiction. I'll say, do you think, how do you think someone feels if they're choosing to do something that knowingly could end this lifetime? How do you think someone feels about themselves if they're choosing? Do you think they feel joyful Do you think they feel worthy do you think they feel valued do you think they feel up? how do you think someone feels if they're choosing to put themselves at in peril and risk and danger and dangerous situations and like living in a way that is like vulnerable and you know there are a lot of different threats that they're willingly accepting because they have such little value on a personal level that nothing else matters but their one sur- surrogate life force which is this substance to do you not feel that that person would already feel a level of shame that all this judgment on top of that would only layer on or compound said shame. And it breaks my heart. There's nothing that breaks my heart more than people who judge someone going through that. I can't. I, it's- I
0: love you so much though. This whole, this whole rant that you just went on about this, like <laughs> I cannot express this enough guys. Addicts are suffering from an illness. Yes. It is an illness. Okay. Like, Yes, I know they're difficult to deal with. I totally know it. My ex-boyfriend was bipolar and unmedicated and living with me. And when I say he was bipolar, he was also an ex like opium addict. I mean, believe me, I have Mm -hmm. definitely been with addicts at their most trying times from the point that they steal from you or they get violent or the whole gambit of behaviors that comes along with that. But to Mercy's point, they have to be suffering so deeply that this is their only escape. Okay, so like Mm -hmm. have some fucking compassion, even if they're irritating, even if they're frustrating, even if you just want to throw up your hands and go like, fuck, I don't know what to do with you. That's fine. Have those feelings. But also understand that this is a human being. This was someone's child. This is a baby that was born into this world that has had some form of trauma, illness, whatever it is that made them literally feel like I have to escape by doing this drug. Okay, like. It's heartbreaking. But people don't just, happy, balanced people don't pick up a crack pipe for fun. Like, that's just not something that happens. Well, it happens to all walks of life, too. It does. Holy shit, because trauma happens to all walks of life. Mental illness happens to all walks of life. And a lot of people who are drug addicts are actually undiagnosed mentally ill, trying to medicate themselves into a state of stability. Okay, so like, you demonize that, but they're actually doing what they thought was going to get them relief from something that either doctors didn't pick up or their family didn't care enough or understand enough to be able to like get them help for it. I can't tell you how many bipolar people I've met that have been drug addicts because they were just trying to level it out. You know, when they would go into their, their depressive episodes, they would take uppers. And when they were in their manic episodes, they would take downers. Like that addiction happened through a state to be normal because they've been told their entire lives by people. You're not normal. Like, we as a society, to a large extent, are actually responsible for drug addicts even becoming drug addicts yeah Frustrating. I agree we
1: need to do better. We need to do better as a larger as a collective and having just respect and common decency and kindness for those who are facing such significant struggles, and yeah. like on a personal level, like I've had so many stories that have touched me, and I, when I say devoid of class, devoid of financials like you know, status or success or or designation, like, um, my grandmother or grandfather, my mo- mother's side was well-decorated Lieutenant Colonel in the air force and flew planes in several world wars, um, ended up becoming a Congressman. He was a lawyer. He went to Yale. He graduated wow. with distinction. He had three purple hearts, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man, extremely well-read. Had like 150 IQ, probably one of the smartest people that most people would have ever met in their lifetime. When he passed away at 62 years old, which today, by today's standards, that's very young. Meanwhile, all the women in my family oh, yeah. outlived the men by about 30 years. So I don't know why we're more, <laughs> more resilient. That's another story for another day. But he uh, sadly succumbed to alcoholism at 60 something years old, with not a lot of mm. dignity in the way that he passed. And this was a man that was so well-respected and was so intelligent. Like, so when people try to stigmatize or demonize and say that it's either related to class or income or level Mm -hmm. of intelligence, Mm -hmm. there is, you know, addiction touches all walks of life and, you know, does not discriminate. And it just comes down to us releasing or like reducing our ego, egoistic desire to demonize or to create like a classist, oppressive structure to make ourselves feel like we are more in power more in control because that to your point exacerbates the stigma
0: and that's what keeps addicts sick that's what it keeps does addicts sick. it does and the only addicts I've ever known that I've actually been able to make a difference with were ones that I sat down with and like for hours listened to their story and their pain and their trauma yeah. and everything else and then I basically said like you are loved. Like I love you. I don't want you to die. And if you keep walking down this yeah. path, that's what's going to happen. Like this doesn't have to be your story for the rest of your life. Like you can change it now. Like you're not a tree. You can, you can get up and, and move to a new place. You can be around new people, whatever, but you got to get the help. And so I am aware enough to know that I am not the person that needs to be helping addicts as far as like their recovery journey. So I have some friends. No, that's again, special. Yeah. I have some friends that are in AA and I have some friends that um, have had really great rehabs that they've gone to. And so I usually pass them off onto someone who's a recovered addict because that's mm-hmm. who can relate to them. in that frequency that they're in and that life experience, those are the people that can give them that hope of like, look, man, I was where you were at. Like me saying that to a, you know, me being like, I get it. I was depressed. I was ready to kill myself. Is not the same as someone who's in active addiction. It, it, Yeah. And if you're an an ex-addict or even if you're an addict now and you're listening to this. You have light to shed for people who are in their darkest moments. If you conquer addiction, you become the the torch to show people through the darkness. So, like, don't ever feel like your addiction was a a negative chapter in your life. It had purpose. So,
1: yeah, I I think a good parallel or a good way to sort of tie it back to what we initially began the podcast on like a good is the idea for me or there are a lot of synchronicities in like hitting rock bottom and then the Mm -hmm. idea of like this the dark night of the soul right the spiritual awakening so if we can have compassion um in those similar cases where somebody is facing those intensive burdens and traumas head on. And, and then in some case, again, they have this background or genetic predisposition towards this disease that makes them more mm-hmm. susceptible towards using this, you know, tool to to distract them from really facing these traumas or, you know, prevent them from having to face them head on. You know, if we can see the humanity or see again, how much more in common we have with those when we are on these journeys, I think it just, it can help us reduce some of the stigma because it, for me, the largest teaching The most important teaching I've ever learned in my journey is just about seeing eye to eye and releasing ego to prevent any type of hierarchical structure. Because I truly believe that we all have a purpose in each other's existences to a certain degree and that all of these blockages, whether they, from no matter where they come from, whether it's, you know, um, fear, because sometimes people actually dislike someone or judge people who are addicts because they fear something in themselves that they feel maybe is vulnerable. Right. Yeah. Is there's so many reasons why people act in certain ways, like through a darker or lower vibrational energy towards somebody. And it always comes from themselves. So yep. it just comes back to focus that back within always face every relationship from a place of, um, compassion. And you know, the, I've, I've seen so many instances of this where, you know, actually there was a beautiful spiritual um, teaching by someone who is associated with uh, psychography, but anyways, besides the point her affiliation, she was talking about how she was frustrated one day and in traffic and was cursing somebody out. And then moments later, because someone moved in front of her car, walked in front of her car moments later, she looks over and she realizes the man is blind, which of course <laughs> is like, Instant karma. It's like instant karma. Guys being like, "Hmm, "You wanna, you wanna react, be reactive, as opposed Mm -hmm. to coming from a place of grace." So toning down that reaction, and how can we allow our first instinct to be compassion, as opposed to anything else that blocks us from having said compassion? I think that's similar to. It sort of ties up what we're speaking to in terms of the the framework of, of addiction. Having just compassion for someone who's going through anything, whether it's addiction, any type of mental health issue. Um, yeah. you know, spiritual awakening, like there are a lot of things that people are, there's a lot of suffering in the world. And yeah. to your point, if we can be kind and then have more compassion, we can help reduce said suffering.
0: Absolutely. With compassion has to come boundaries though. Yes. Like you, you yes. can be compassionate and still not be okay with their behavior. There, There's a very big oh, difference sure. on that. And I feel like a lot of people feel like it's one or the other. There's balance in that, Right. Like you yeah. can be like, no, you, you can't rob people and break into their cars because you're an active addiction. Like that's not an excuse while simultaneously no, no, no. understanding that they're an active addiction because of things that have happened, you know, like, and, and I'm not yep. saying that for you. I'm more so saying that for <laughs> listeners of uh, there, there's balance to everything and kind of tagging on to mercy's teaching because mine is parallel, but not quite the same. My greatest teaching in this was to just not have judgment towards people and their paths. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. we don't, we're not coming from a perspective of creation. We don't know why that's their path. They might Mm -hmm. have to go through active addiction because they, again, went through something in a past life and this was the karma for it. Like maybe they were horrible to somebody who was in active addiction. And so now they're having to go through it. You just Mm -hmm. don't know the purpose for people going through these things. You don't know the purpose for the darkness in people. A lot of this stuff, like we just don't have the perspective to be able to really rightfully have any judgment in us at all. Honestly, like from, from my perspective, that's where it boiled mm-hmm. down to for me is I'm not going to judge anybody for anything that they do because I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. I work like crazy on myself, and I still mm-hmm. have things that I'm going to have to work on until the day that I die. So if yeah. you are not this perfect being, if you are not, you know an ascended master who is so enlightened that you're like literally floating off of your chair. Who are you to judge this person? You have no idea what is driving whatever it is that they're doing. And there's a small caveat to that for me, which is I have a very difficult time not judging people when they're damaging others.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Because for me, that's that's always been a hard thing for me to try and understand, because even at my lowest, like I didn't go out of my way to damage others. And I really didn't do that on purpose at all. I turned it inward. Right. Like my my damage and my trauma and whatever was damaging for me, but I did my best to not um, project that on the world around me. Yeah. So I have a hard time with that. That for me is the one like I'm going to call it Achilles heel in my non-judgment thing is I, I really. I do a good job of not judging people until I see them hurting other people. And then for me, there's like this righteous indignation that kicks in that goes, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But I'm learning even in that headspace, even in that injustice, like me witnessing injustice that just makes every bone in my body like seize up with rage or seize up with like, no, that's not fair. I need to go in and I need to stop it. You don't know why that's happening. Again, that might be a karmic thing that you just don't need to intervene on because whoever's the quote unquote victim in that is having to experience that. I truly believe that all of these things we experience have purpose behind them and tapping back into the, if you've been in active addiction or if you've been in an addiction and you get to be the light in the darkness for somebody, those horrible things that you experienced one day will become a torch for other people to follow through the dark. Okay. Yeah. So we all go through all this stuff for God knows what purpose. Hopefully you learn your lessons out of it. Hopefully we don't have to come back and reincarnate a millionth time to learn that same lesson, (laughs) but there's a reason to not judge it. And it's because none of us are omniscient. And if you were omniscient, you would know why it's happening.
1: Yeah. I would just, I would add to that too. Even as an ascended master, if anything, you would be free and devoid from judgment because your, your, your ambitions are so much loftier than
0: (laughs) Yeah, you'd that, have that higher perspective. That exchange.
1: And even beyond that, I always, and I've, again, I've personally and experienced this and in past lives, um, like such oppressive energies to the extent where it took a lot of healing work to get to the point where I could free myself from, um any personal ownership of those actions to which was a al- which would allow me to prevent myself from judging others who are doing the same thing. What I mean by that is that for many years, I would state, you know, this person must've done something because I somehow, you know, inherited this or that I did something to create s- said response. What you'll find is when you can free yourself, even from judging others for making poor decisions is because you recognize the decisions it has nothing to do with the other person it has to do with that person on an individual level. Mm -hmm. And in some cases they have not been given the tools. They have, they have been, to your point, there's a karmic history you don't understand. So there's so much below the surface and there's an empowerment on the individual outside of that person as well, to be able to enforce those boundaries or to prevent themselves from being impacted or detrimented going forward. Like we all have that ability to navigate our own journeys. Of course there are exceptions to every rule. Like for speaking, you know, um, Robert Picton, like, you know, people who have committed mass atrocities or, you know, Mm -hmm. serial killers that those are, you know, hyperbolic and exceptions to the rule. But on an individual level, there is we all have the ability to either be in the driver's seat or in the passenger seat. Um, I'm a believer of, you know, being both connected spiritually, but also being connected to, you know, your human World and reality to the extent where you can combine both your understanding of how to sort of manifest and exist in an esoteric climate with like the real world actions that you have to take in order to protect that work and help you advance along your journey. I feel like it's combined effort, and uh, part of that is yes, exactly, and protecting yourself from said energies that you now have been exposed to. It's like you touch a hot stove, you know. Now you know what you need to avoid. So yes i i don't i don't judge people who who necessarily are in those circumstances where i see them doing the wrong thing because i always know there is a karmic uh results that will exist like that they will they will be dealt with in in the way that will to your point inform their path
0: going mm-hmm. forward. yeah yeah but even like going back to the the serial killer thing you know i that was a big hang-up for me was like how if you're a loving creative universe whatever like how could you allow these mass atrocities to happen? How could you allow genocide? How could you allow all of that? Like, that was a that was a big block for me in believing all of this. And in all honesty, as I was like, loving and kind, my ass, like, you know, I'm I'm part Jewish. So are you like our, our family history? Like, we were rounded up and fucking gassed to death. Like, how is that loving? You know, it but. My uncle said something really interesting because I, I went to him about the Holocaust. Right. And I was like, make this make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and cause you know, he's, he's very like, God is loving and kind and, and all, all of the things that you hear in the Abrahamic uh, religions mostly. But he said, he goes, you know, we would see the Holocaust as like an absolute atrocity. And it was, um, but there's also an aspect of it when you're looking at it from a spiritual point of view from a an enlightened spiritual point of view um not me him like i'm i am going to he'll never admit that he's enlightened but like i'm just going to say he is <laughs> we'll just put that label on him um he said like the jewish people may have as a group decided to take the hardest path to work through a massive amount of karma in one lifetime so sometimes those big horrible events that happen their souls actually chose it it doesn't make it any less horrific that it happened okay so like i don't want anyone to get mixed up on that the holocaust was an absolute atrocity and i have had to do a lot of soul work to like undo a lot of the damage that that did ancestrally for me but Mm -hmm. with that being said a lot of souls who come in and have these very traumatic lifetimes are doing so because they're working through a lot of karma. Or yeah. they did something horrible in a past life and they needed to learn the lesson from it. Maybe they were the oppressor. Maybe they committed genocides. You know, you you just don't know. So trying to to look at life from the most non-judgmental point of view, the best way that I have come to terms with that is that the more you learn about this existence and spirituality and humanity and everything, the more you figure out that you don't know fuck about shit, (laughs) the more you realize you're like, I know this like very small iota of knowledge in this vast sea of knowledge. And so having judgment on it is basically coming from a place of ego of like, I have knowledge on this. And so as the authority on this, this is categorically wrong. Yeah, mm, maybe from your moral compass it is, but from the universe's moral compass, maybe it was necessary. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, and it's it just also, kind of radical it, acceptance.
1: It also re- it reduces the breadth of your experience based on the lens of your judgment, based on what you you determine are like the preconceived outcomes, because you're going into it with this fixed mindset. I would also say, just to like close off, you know, from my perspective, those who arguably, um, and I this is always a little bit of a delicate area even speaking of Cause yes, I do. My father's Jewish. You know, I, we grew up, um, holding Seder, you know, it's, it's something I have been culturally connected with throughout my life. Um, so I say this with delicacy and also love. And in fact, this is actually a statement that bolsters up the Jewish people, but in get, there's always, a, you know, there's always a bit of tepidness around communicating tropes about any large group regardless. Right. But for me, the Jewish people have had one of the best, like, like such an ability of, to have such resilience and to 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 just hold, uphold their culture in a way that's so triumphant and so absolutely, absolutely like awe-inspiring in, in the way that they are um, unflappable and they've gone through to uh, the greatest atrocity we'll, we'll ever experience in this lifetime, you know, for yeah, me without absolutely. question. And something that I agreed, again, another soul sisterhood commonality, I have a very distinct pulse point to the extent where even growing up with musical theater or choir, if there's something to do with the Holocaust, it was just please do not put me in the front row. Cause I will just be Same. waterworks, like <laughs> emotional, too emotional. Um, but I do truly feel like, you know, that, that the old trope, God gives its you know, the toughest battles to the stronger soldiers. It's like, now you have this large group um, that culture has upheld all of these really strong principles and, you know, continue on with, with such pride and confidence and like not a lot of other cultures are represented or, you know, faiths are represented in the same way that Judaism is now. Yeah. And I, and I do think part of that is related, right? So again, of course, we'd never wish any atrocity on any group, but like you said, there's always some type of karmic law or balance that we can't discern or see with the naked eye or sometimes can't even capture in a lifetime.
0: No, absolutely. Um, So to your point about not, not wanting to be in the front row during like a Holocaust thing I literally could not get through the first five pages of Ellie Weissel's Knocked I literally couldn't get through it no I tried for three weeks to get through it and I just kept sobbing like as soon as they got to the part about them using babies for target practice I just lost it every time and I went in and this is one of the this was one of the very few times that I experienced real empathy so going back to our You never know what impact you might make on someone's life. And this is making me tear up even talking about it. I went to my middle school literature teacher um, and I, I started crying and I said, I can't finish this. I said, my family's Jewish. And like, this is so traumatizing for me to read this, that like, like my grandfather was shot down by the Nazis and lived in a cave and was MIA for like six months and had to go across a minefield in the black of night escape Nazi occupied France like this is Mm. this isn't some like far off story in my family this is like close to home this was very close to home and I had family that was rounded up and never heard from again Uh, obviously not family I knew of but um but family nonetheless like my grandmother told me stories about it it's it's written out like nobody ever heard from this guy ever again so This is not some like distant like oh this happened like ten generations ago like my grandfather who I knew and sat on his lap and loved dearly was in Nazi occupied France as a Jewish American soldier and was shot down like right next to where the Gestapo were camped out I mean it's this has a lot of of weight on it for me so I I went in and and I didn't even understand at that age why it had that weight that's the other thing that was so kind of shocking about this. And my dad was very disconnected from his Jewish roots and my mom had no understanding of it. And like, honestly, no empathy whatsoever for the connection that I felt I had to the Jewish people, like very truly. And like I always say now that my dad was the dad that I uh, needed for soul growth, but my uncle Gary is uh, the the dad I always wanted. And so now that my dad has passed on, my uncle Gary has become my second father. Right. So again, I feel very deeply connected to I mean he's a rabbi. <laughs> like I I am very culturally Jewish even without having grown up that way. So I went into my um, I went into my middle school teacher's classroom and I told her I I just can't get through this. Like my family's Jewish. This is like very traumatizing for me and I will never forget. She had these very big knuckled hands <laughs> with a lot of freckles on them. And she put her hand on top of mine and it was the sweetest, like I felt the energetic exchange. And she said, you don't have to read that, honey, pick a poem and then you can recite it in front of the class, like just learn it. And and that'll be your, you know, that'll be the way that we go ahead and, and make this fair for the class. But it was so compassionate and there was so much empathy. And it was the first time I had really. Experienced that and it was so beautiful that right now, even like 30 something years later, I don't even remember her name. It still touches me deeply in my heart. So, if you can be that person for somebody, why not? Why not? Because they might be talking about you on a podcast 30 years later in (laughs) tears about the love that you showed them. And like all of you guys are going to hear that and hopefully it touches your heart, you know. Go out and do some good in the world. Go be someone's light in a time of darkness. When a kid comes to you and says, I'm so traumatized, I can't give them that love and that empathy. Connect with them on the level that they need to be met at. I can't tell you how important that is. You know, it's, we're here to have a human experience, but we're also here to connect with each other on these deep soul levels to try and grow and learn and be better people. And in connecting with people when they're in dark periods, that's how you make real change here. You might start a small yeah. ripple in that person, but it'll it'll continue going until it builds. Absolutely. No, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That that
1: moment of empathy. Teachers have such an in, indelible impact on our journeys, and we do. You know, that's a whole other conversation for a whole other podcast about the the injustices of teachers not being fairly compensated or supported in any school system around the world. But, um, yeah, there's, there's, that is such a delicate subject and there's something so heartbreaking just about the lack of just basic respect and just decency and for human life and those, and, but the, the fact that there was that type of compassion exhibited and that sense of like not even a pause, just instantly, just
0: giving you comfort. Yeah. It's something that you'll always, remember what and it was because she came from a very like different culture too this is in the south guys like this wasn't a trailer classroom in the south and i'm pretty sure that she was like Irish of irish descent like this is not this wasn't another member of the jewish community this wasn't someone who deeply understood what i was feeling she met me on the level i needed to be met on yeah sorry marcy go ahead no yeah.
1: no 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 i that's beautiful that's beautiful though i it's rare where we have those, those heroes that cross our paths. But when you have that type of interaction, I mean, like you said, not only will you always remember that you'll share that story and it's inspiring to others like that. It's that ripple effect. Yeah. And my, I had sort of a similar experience with the teacher, but opposite experience with like a ran around the Holocaust inquiry. I remember they would put me in the front row because they, they liked that I exhibited this like strong emotional response. Mm-hmm. And it was just, and I'm like, Oh, please do not put me in the front row. But and also, why are we singing like just the most heartbreaking songs? But that that's, right. again, a larger conversation about preserving that moment in time um, to ensure that history never repeats itself.
0: Yeah, we're going through a little bit of an issue with that in the United States right now. Um, it's it's pretty disheartening. for me. I'm not going to lie, but we will persevere <laughs> like I'm actually yeah. part of a, a Jewish food group on Facebook. This is totally random, but I thought you How would get you? a huge kick out of this. I am. Um, and the tagline on it is like, they tried to kill us and didn't. Let's eat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's one thing that you could do. Honestly, best cooks, best bakers, you know, art, artistically, I, I feel, I attribute a lot of like the, like the humorous sensibility, the yes. not taking life so seriously, the the enjoying of like good humor and good time to that side of my family. Actually, I found the poem too that was the song that we sang. And I think this is really beautiful. I want to share this with you because I was I literally had these lyrics in my head for probably 30 years. And now I'm just and this was I written, I believe, on the side of the wall um of a home where there were where children were being hidden and one of the children had actually written this. And this was a song. And now you can imagine why I was crying when I was singing this song. Oh god, like, I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> It says, I believe, it's actually quite beautiful. It's quite be- It's very hopeful and optimistic, but it's also heartbreaking. It says, I believe in the sun, even when it is not shining. And I believe in love, even when there's no one there. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. I believe through any trial, there is always a way. Um, but sometimes in the suffering and hopeless despair, my heart cries for shelter to know someone's there. But a voice rises within me saying, hold on, my child. I'll give you strength. I'll give you hope. Just stay a little while thought that was the most beautiful yes. but like heartbreaking words but but it does there is a sense of hope and optimism
0: like that that's so beautifully summed up the human experience because yeah yeah okay like <laughs> even taking this out of the holocaust like we're probably not going to experience a holocaust anyone who's listening to, <laughs> to, to this podcast yes maybe you might maybe maybe not hopefully not let's hope not god let's willing be. hopefully not but yes But you're probably not going to go through that. But I think all of us can resonate with that feeling of like when you hit those deep, dark periods, that despair. And then there's just this little voice inside of you that goes, but keep Keep going. going. Yeah. Man, you it was beautifully full circle to to the opening of (laughs) That's why I liked it. I was like, (laughs) this kind of gives me
1: like... Uh, the rock bottom of spiritual awakening dark night of the soul so i thought it was a good way to sort of sum up what we were initially speaking about it was beautiful absolutely beautiful but words look, and uh, written by a kid Charles, wrote that too
0: yeah that's what i was gonna yeah. say a kid wrote that so okay oh man Ooh, my whole body's tingling so i gotta i gotta say this <laughs> we got something to say here so this goes back to our conversation about horrible things sometimes meaning that you are working out a ton of karma in rapid time. For a child to have that understanding of the human experience at that age probably required that level of darkness in their world. So, when you start feeling like, why am I experiencing this darkness? So that you can experience the light in its full glory. Because without that experience of that kind of darkness, you can't understand elation. It has to be an equal but opposite experience. So, if you are one of those people, like yours truly that goes into the depths of hell when they go into those dark nights of the soul just understand that your comeback story is going to be that much brighter all right so like yeah appreciate that depth of experience here because if you were having a milk toast experience where nothing was great but nothing was that bad this would be pretty fucking boring
1: yeah yeah, and the soul cracks, the darkness of the soul cracks. the more cracks that you experience within the soul, the the lighter you know, the brighter the light that can shine through them. So allow Absolutely. yourself to be permeable and to experience life to its fullest potential. I think it's a really beautiful way to end this off. i I always encourage people to lean into these difficult, changing formative periods because it is so fulfilling on the other side you just have to give them a taste and hope that that's truly in fact the case and that you're not just um you know um trying to placate them in that moment but it is it's the most fulfilling thing you can ever experience and you will feel so much more calibrated to the frequency in which you will be able to have the existence that you have sought out this entire time maybe you just didn't
0: know how to navigate or even co-navigate to get there beautiful I'm not even going to add anything else to that because it was perfect. So, (laughs) Perfectly imperfect. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, guys, I hope you got a lot out of this. I know that, man, I just love hanging out with Mercy. So we're going to keep doing this. We're going to have, I'm calling it Mercy Mondays, but I've been really (laughs) slack on getting stuff up at the right time. So hopefully I'll get it launched on Mondays. Um, But we're going to do this every so often because I do think it is interesting Um, And important to kind of have a conversation from uh, two people who have done a lot of the work so that you can kind of understand like a lot of the stuff that doesn't feel normal on the path actually is very normal. And they're the things that nobody really talks about because they're the ugly sides of spirituality. But there's beauty in that ugliness. There's so much beauty. So on that note, in case nobody has told you lately, you are loved.